Welcome to the 196th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken because they are awesome supporters. You could be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment and i've just started taking us back to 1981 to look at the lazarus affair bat, classic batman story arc for uh, written by marv wolfman so you can hear about that and then i have some movies coming up as soon as this story arc is over so stay tuned for that but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or five. That is ko-fi.com slash heck. So we got, it's it's another full episode, like two full. I actually had to bump something, which I think might work for next week. I may still, still bring it up next week because there might be a couple other things. Because I, I think next week a Flash, and I don't know if Superman and Lois is on. Maybe that's not... And like Legends of Tomorrow, I think all the CW shows are off for a week. I don't know why. Memorial Day weekend, week, whatever. But um, yeah, I messed up. I think, I don't know if I mentioned last week, um, I thought that there was nothing coming out this week. So I was going to have um, Army of the Dead be the main feature. Originally, that was going to be last week's. But then I bumped up MODOK or half of MODOK. So this week, you get the other half of MODOK. You'll get Army of the Dead. Not a whole lot in depth of that. Um, I didn't love it. Um, it. It was fine. So you'll hear more about that. And then, you know, all the other TV shows, plus A Quiet Place 2. A Quiet Place 2, I guess I should say. So back to the theater for me. So I was really excited about that. You can hear more about that um, later on. So with the news, the Craven Hunter, let's just start there. So apparently, Sony has cast Aaron Taylor Johnson. As Craven Hunter, <laughs> you didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. So yeah, he's uh he's Craven. <laughs> now is he actually Russian? Where is he from? You know, it's like, are, isn't it like today? Like you have to be uh, the right descendant, ethnicity, and gender, and everything to play a role because you're taking a job from someone else if if you're not. At least that's how it is in voice acting. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I think he could definitely do it. I mean, he, obviously, he's he's proven himself to be very versatile and with the different things that he's doing. And I don't, I still don't know how I feel about a Craven Hunter movie. I don't know if it's necessary. I mean, sure, you could do it, but I feel the same way about you know Morbius. I I guess I well, I don't know. I, I guess I'd rather have a Craven Hunter movie over Morbius. Although I don't know about that. So you, well, you got a movie about a big game hunter. I mean, if, if, if it's going to be an introduction to the character and not feature Spider-Man, that's the odd thing. I mean, if, if Sony's plan is to introduce these characters and then bring in the Sinister Six, I get it. Because that's basically what Marvel did. You know, introduce all the characters, put them together in Avengers. So it's kind of like doing the same thing, but for villains. So we'll see. I mean, I guess I'll try to have faith and try to stay positive. At least it's not freaking Carnage, right? Uh, speaking of Marvel, Eternals trailer came out, and um, hmm, uh, 
I guess I'm a little more interested than I was before. So as you're, you may be aware, I'm not the biggest Eternals fan. And by not being the biggest fan, it doesn't mean that I'm not super crazy about it. It's, it just means I was never really into it. I never really read a whole lot just because, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just really wasn't aware of them. And I think when I started reading comics, there weren't any really new Eternals comics being put out that I knew of. I mean, the only one I knew was Cersei because she was in the Avengers at the time or shortly after. So, yeah, I started reading the, the current comic, and I'm, I'm getting more interested in, in the characters. And, you know, I've, I've read some stuff before. I just found a, that Eternals animated motion comic movie. I found it in, with my DVDs. I was like, oh, maybe I should watch that. See see what, what story arc this is. Um, but the trailer look, could be interesting. We'll, we'll see. I mean... I guess, you know, if you're looking at this, like, phase after the Avengers and you're kind of trying to branch out a little more, you have all that. Of course, you know, the big thing is, like, if the Eternals always, have always been around, how come they haven't done anything before? And that's something that's kind of addressed, how they've been kind of, like, staying out of our business and in, or people's business, and now they're finally going to do something. So, all right, we'll see. Ok- Okoye? I don't, I don't think that's how you say it. I'm assuming that's not how you say it. There's a... So, OK is going to be in, in Black Panther 2, and apparently there may be a, a Disney Plus spinoff. So, you know, as you know, she's a leader of the Dora Milaje. That doesn't sound right either. So, um, yeah. Okay. I'm sold. I'll, I'll watch that. Uh, Marvel, I guess, finally sort of confirmed Oscar Isaac as Moon Knight. You know, it's like the weirdest things. Like they, there's been no mention of him yet. Supposedly he's been training, and you know the cinematographer said he's been lighting Oscar Isaac for Moon Knight. And but there's never been anything, even when they had that big Disney uh, in, investor meeting thing or presentation. It's like they, they, there's no mention. It's like what's going on? And um, so Oscar Isaac, his production company, his Instagram account posted a picture of him because i guess he doesn't have his, his own or that we know of you know, he may have his like a secret uh, a personal account but there's a basically a picture of like his eyes and his forehead and a bunch of like moon knight covers behind him and, and uh it said we are moon knight and then mark but so the thing is what makes it a little more official is that you know marvel marvel studios like re 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 not retweeted reposted is that what instagram uses i'm totally blanking so i guess it's and and i was on twitter too so i guess it's official and um i like oscar isaac is he you know i is he was obviously not my first choice for moon knight because i didn't have a first choice for moon knight because i don't know who who should be i'm horrible at casting which is why i'm not a casting director so uh, he's a great actor so that i think that's that's cool and that's good it could bring some credibility it brings some attention. I'm I'm a little scared. One because it's Moon Knight, and two, it's like because Moon Knight, is, I I love him so much. He, I feel like he's kind of like a, a personal favorite because he's not as mainstream as Spider Man or you know whoever else, and you know Avengers or. But you know the same thing was for Thor. Like when Thor first came out, you know, I was like, are people really going to want to see a Thor movie? Are they going to know who he is? You know, they may know about the Asgardian legends or whatever. So we'll see, and um, but yeah, it's it'll be weird once more and more, but it'll be good, right? Maybe I'm just I'm just very nervous. Uh, 
very so extremely nervous. I, I don't even know what to think. So I'm, I guess I'm preparing to get my heart broken. If it's if it's if it's, they're gonna change, don't please don't change any. Oh man, I don't I don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about Deadpool. You know, there's talk about Deadpool being R-rated, and Kevin Feige had you know said that yeah, Deadpool three could be rated R, and but then like after that, there's no plans for additional R-rated movies. So I forgot where I saw this at. You know, the, the basically the spin on this is, will that be the last R-rated? Or the, the only and last R-rated Marvel movie. I don't think that that's necessarily what it says. Just because it says they have no plans for additional doesn't mean that they may decide to do Deadpool four and it could be rated R, or they could do you know may decide to do something else. And obviously, if Deadpool three is rated R and it does like bonker goes bananas at the box office, Disney might be like, hmm, you know maybe there's an audience for this, even though you know we tend not to do that. I don't think it's it's a necessary like never you know it's, it's kind of like never say never type of thing where it, I don't think it's official. But Tim Miller, who obviously knows a little bit about Deadpool since he directed the first movie, and was supposed to direct the second, but he's like no thanks because different opinions or something. He said that he thinks that it could work as, as not being R rated, and I I you know me I 100% agree. And what what Tim Miller said that, you know, with Ryan Reynolds and what he brings to the character, that basically he could still make it work without the four-letter words. You know, Deadpool doesn't have to swear. You don't need raunchy, you know, sex jokes either. He can be funny. And uh, some people would say, well, what about Once Upon a Deadpool? You know, it was PG-13, and that didn't do well in the box office. I think that didn't do well because it was was essentially a re-release, and it was like an edited re-release. So people might be like, hey, I already saw that in a the theater. Uh, maybe I already saw it a couple times in a the theater or whatever. I, I don't really want to pay to see it again. And I'm trying to think if uh, the Blu-ray had already, it might have already been released at home. Maybe not. So I think that didn't do as well because it had already come out. And I mean, I, I, don't, I didn't go see it. I was going to, but I think I just didn't end up. But I did end up buying the Blu-ray. I was like, yeah, I, I want to see this. I'll I'll watch it and support it and I, I thought it was funny and it was fine i mean i didn't watch them back to back so i couldn't compare like is one funnier than the other and maybe maybe you know maybe the r is a little funnier because you know it's a little unexpected i just don't think profanity vulgar you know potty humor that's the, like the ultimate form of of humor i think you know you could pull it off without and if it was an r-rated movie saying pull it off you know what you get what i'm saying so we'll, we'll see. And I, again, I, I wouldn't necessarily rule, rule out that we would never see a narrated Deadpool movie after this because obviously money talks. If it's, if it's super crazy, awesome, people you know, will want more. And Disney might be like, we should probably do what they want, maybe. Uh, Powerpuff Girls, so we were talking about that. Uh, with pilot seasons, you know, they're talking about that. The, the pilot did not get picked up. Good news is CW is like, yeah, why don't you rework that? Um, it's not quite what we wanted, but it, it it could still be good. So why don't you like redo it? So basically, they they believe in a cast. You know, they they think that there's a potential there. They didn't like certain things. I think they said it wasn't as grounded in reality as they were hoping, or something like that. Which was like, what what the heck did you expect? If you're talking about Powerpuff Girls, and the other weird thing is like. Did you not read or read or approve the script? Did you just say, hey, go ahead and do this? Well, I guess that's how it works. You know, you shoot the pilot, the execs look at it, watch it, and then they say yay or nay. But, 
you would think that if they're giving them money to make the pilot, that they would there be some sort of approval. Pro- like someone should have looked at the script or whatever, or seen how it would be. And I, I don't know. And supposedly, like the script leaked out. I don't buy that. I, don't, I mean, maybe it is. I, I didn't see where, like, who the original sources what. But I, I read like bits of it on you know people posting like the same two or three images on on Twitter in the, the trending topics. And there was some stuff. I mean, it was it was pretty bad. And I just I feel like someone could just easily like, oh, I'm going to type this up and say, hey, here's a leaked script, because you know some, some people just whether they want to go viral but you're it's like you're going viral anonymously or maybe you just want to try to make the the idea look bad if you don't approve you think it's a bad move to make this movie but so we'll see um and i'm i'm still i don't know i mean i the thing is i i like chloe bennett and i i like dove cameron i don't have an opinion on a third actress because i don't know her from i haven't seen anything she's been in so I I definitely would watch it. I don't know if it would be like a top show or favorite show or anything like that. I mean, it, it could st- still be bad rework, but I'm definitely curious and want to see what they they're gonna do. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, there's gonna be a new Evil Dead movie, which we know about, but apparently now it's going coming to HBO Max. So that's fine. You know, at first it's like, oh man, it's not going to theaters. So it's like it's a downgrade. But when you look at like stuff HBO Max is doing or Hulu or, you know, all these like streaming, you know, Disney Plus and it's a lot of great content. So it's, for me, I shouldn't say it like, oh, this is a bad thing. But, you know, maybe it, it, it takes care of um, dist- distribution. That's what I'm trying to think, say. And also it could be like HBO, Warner Brothers, whatever, like, hey, we really want this on our streaming service because we this could draw in more more people. So you know it's coming back to New Line, which you know they're uh, Sam Raimi and I think Bruce Campbell are excited about that, and you know they're going to be producing. So um, we'll see. You know it's it's not necessarily going to be an Ash movie. You know it's going to be different characters, and I don't know how I feel. But since uh, Raimi and and Campbell and uh, Tapper, whatever, are involved, so fingers crossed i mean it, sh- it should be fine um and speaking of i don't know if this will be fine speaking of hoping this will be fine just to be a hellraiser movie at hulu so this is where i was confused because uh when i heard about this i was like wait i thought it was going to hbo max but this is a different thing so spyglass media is apparently remaking the movie um there's gonna be a series with pinhead with Clive Barker as the executive producer show, that's at HBO Max. That's still happening. So Clive Barker recently won a copyright case, and he's getting the rights back to the movie and the the novel, the novella, and everything like that. But those rights don't roll over or completely go to him until December 19th, 2021. So that means... Spyglass Media, whoever they are, whatever rights they have, they can still make this movie as long as it's released before December 19th, I guess. So I don't know. That makes me a little nervous. I mean, it, it's almost like let's crank this out and hope we can make some money off of it while we can. I mean, I'll watch it, but it, it, it's just we i mean you have something with clive clive freaking barker is involved executive producing compared to this which like you know joe Schmo is going to be producing no offense whoever's producing but 
Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, Flash season eight. So they're saying that the first five episodes of the next season is going to kind of be like a crossover. It's not going to be like a, a full, like official, like crisis crossover or whatever, but it, it's going to have like a crossover feel and they're going to bring in other characters from Arrowverse and stuff like that. So, okay. Um, I guess it makes maybe it's easier than going full fledged. You know, they were going to do more stuff. They were going to do some sort of crossover this year, but because of COVID and, and, uh, you know, limiting production, you know, cast and crew. So they're like, well, we're not going to be able to do it. So, okay. Um, but then I, I saw somewhere, I think it might've been on, on Twitter where someone, some, some site, I don't even know who it is. Some sources saying rumors are that the eighth season is going to be the final one. What is there any truth to that? No idea. Uh, it's possible because I mean, didn't Arrow only go to eight? And it might be a matter of how long do these actors want to do it? You know, what are their contracts? And you know, if if they're starting to have to renew every year, it gets more expensive to negotiate these. Because Grant Gustin, you know, as, as great as he may be, I mean, in, in terms of negotiation, I don't know. After a while, he might be like, "Hey, I've done this for eight years, maybe a little longer, because he appeared on the Flash, you know, whatever cameo introduction, or I mean, Arrow. Did I say Arrow? So it might be, you know, is it worth, you know, the, the cost? We already know that Cisco's leaving, and Harrison Wells is or, is leaving. So I don't know. And the way things have been, I hate to say it, I'd be like, all right. I mean, I don't want it to go away." But I just haven't been super excited. I mean, I'm just okay with the show this season. But it, sometimes it's just a little more disappointing than exciting. Uh, Timothy Chalamet is going to be playing Willy Wonka in a Willy Wonka prequel. And, of course, uh, you know, the question is, do we really need that? But, all right, let, let's let's see more about the man, the myth, the legend, whatever. Let's see more about Willy Wonka. Uh when he was younger, and I, I think I mean Timothy Chalamet. I know that doesn't sound right. Uh, he's a great actor. You know, he, he's he's done some you know, good stuff. So I, I will, I'll watch that and hopefully be be happy and impressed or whatever. And uh, the last bit of news. I'm trying to think if there's there's more comic stuff. But what um what what recently came up. Joshua Williamson, so he was on a Word Balloon podcast recently, and um, he mentioned he kind of mentioned an Aquaman series. So is he working on Aquaman? But he seems like he's working on other stuff too. He's working on, on a bit. So we, we could have that. Um, oh, and then uh, last bit, which I, I, totally, I meant to say this earlier, J.J. Abrams mentioned that the Portal movie is still in development. So if you are a Portal fan, you have that to look forward to. And if you are end of the news fan, good news because that is going to be the news for the week. All right, with comic books, Ascender 15 came out. So Ascender is back. And this issue, um, so it's a new new story arc and thing. And just like always, it's hard to talk about this if, like, if, if you haven't really read it. Because I could say, like, oh, we find out a lot about Tim. And Tim who's Tim? So you really need to be reading this. It's a great series, and I'll, I'll say it every single time. You know, you should read Descender, read those volumes. I, I think there's only is there how many volumes are there? There's not that many, so it's not like loads and loads. Like you know, it's been decades and decades, and it's take you forever to catch up. So you should definitely be reading this. And then Ascender, there's what maybe two trades out, three trades. 
and uh, what we we find out a lot about the whole mythology of like the stuff with the robots and the magic and how it's like connected and, and what's going on. So it's there's a lot going on here in terms of I mean there there's some big revelations and this is like stuff that we're definitely going to be seeing going on. So you if you're if you're reading this it it's important stuff. You should definitely be checking it out. Then we have a uh, Department of Truth issue 9. This was a heavy issue as well. There's there's a lot of information. There's a lot of text to read. There's a lot of like conversation. And uh, so our main character Cole Cole Turner, who's been recruited into this Department of Truth, and you know he's he's finding out a lot about stuff that's going on. You know there, there's a lot of like history about uh, the the organization and like some of the different things that they do. And the, just the whole disturbing thing. There's a lot of disturbing stuff throughout the series where you think about how there's like a lot of manipulation that could have been going on. And it's like just the fact that like Lee Harvey Oswald is still alive and everything like that. So there's a lot going on. And, you know, the whole thing is like, you know, if you look at the cover, like who's this lady with the, the X's over her eyes and what's going on. And there's like a lot of different stuff about like, you know, religions and everything like that. And it's definitely a deep book, but it, it's not like so deep that it, it just, it gets um, incomprehensible, but there's just, it's well thought out. So, I mean, I, I'm always in awe for James Tynan, uh, just the, the stuff that he's come out and just how he just keeps like etching away and just, you know, laying out more and more. It's just like so heavy duty and it's just, it's, it, it's, it's good. I mean, he's not taking this lightly. I mean, there's definitely it's so much, so many layers here. And I, I'm just in awe with what's going on. Um, Old Guards, Tales Through Time, Issue two, two of six. So this one, this yeah, I'm, I'm a little torn with this. For me, this this series is more about the creators who are coming on, because the stories that we're getting, in my opinion, they're not like super duper important. Whatever, you know, it's it's these are just past stories or past experiences that these immortal characters have gone through and dealt with or whatever. So yeah, that's fine. That's you know okay, but. It's more about the creators getting a chance to play with these characters. So, like Kelly Ducent DeConnick writes one of the stories, Eric Trotman writes the other, and then um, Mike Henderson also does the art in one one of the stories. So there's just some cool visuals and everything like that. But for me, the story was was just like it was uh, all right. But then uh, Shadecraft issue three. So I'm I'm really enjoying this series. And didn't they just say it was going to be like a I don't know if it was a Netflix show or something like that. But this this is good. So, you know, there's this girl and these, like, shadows have been, like, kind of uh, trying to attack her and stuff like that. And then we find out, her, you know, her brother got in this car accident. He's in a coma. And now he's, like, one of the shadows. And he's, like, like her shadow, basically. And uh, last issue, the school, was it a new school? I don't know if it was, like, a therapist or a counselor. Not a therapist, a counselor. But then she had a gun in her desk, so um, she, the, the main, our main character, like confronts her. Zaddy confronts her, and uh, turns out she knows a bit about the shadows and everything. So she was kind of sent there. I, don't, I forget if they they could detect they detected something was going on or whatever. So she wants to kind of help train Zaddy, Zadie, and um, it's a little weird. And you know, at first, it's like, okay, what's what's this all about? But it does kind of open up this bigger world where this is something that is has happened. So it's not like these shadows are come to life out of nowhere. But then um, there's a one thing that the 
what's her name the the counselor secret person says about zaddy's brother which is just kind of like a cliffhanger at the end and so it's it's a good book and i i know that was like a horrible um <laughs> horrible explanation but it's it's so this is the third issue and this is something that you know you should try to try to get in on it and you know find out you know catch, catch keep up with it so then you know when it does become an adaptation or whatever then you know you can already know what's going on and you can say hey yeah you know i read about this and i i already know everything and so it's 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 a really good story and it's you know it's good story good art and everything like that so it's worth checking out so that was uh the third issue so maybe you can still find the first two otherwise you know get them digitally if, if you need to okay at dc okay because i don't think um hang on so yeah there's so there's nothing at idw that i read I realized uh, kind of last minute that The Last Ronin, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, came out. I forget. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I read issue two. But, yeah, it feels like it's been more than a month since issue three. So I forget what – I don't know what the the release schedule is for that. And then um, – oh, yeah. So at Boom Studios, Something is Killing the Children, 16 came out. It's a new story arc. I, I forgot. I, I keep forgetting to read it. Um, and then – yeah, so apologies to that. That's another great. I mean, James Tynan. That's all you need to know. You should be reading that. So that's one that you want to pick up. I think I mentioned I've read like like eleven like within a couple of days. So it's 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 good. Uh, with uh, Action Comics at DC one thousand thirty one. So this big like battleship came towards Earth, and you know it's from War World, and it turns out that there's like some refugees on there some whatever so you know they're, they're trying to save them trying to figure out what, what's going on and some of these people have these like superman like the the s emblem like branded in on their hands and stuff like that so they're trying to figure out what's going on there's because they're speaking this old ancient kryptonian dialect but superman's like you know they're not kryptonians so why would they they know that and the, the ship ended up crashing like in the ocean so that atlantean scientists They've kind of claimed it, you know, um, they want to, there's like this power source that they want for themselves, which, you know, because Superman like wants to know about it. They're like, yeah, but you're, you can't take it because he's like, you know, can I take it back to the, the fortress so I can study it? They're like, no, you know, we have to protect ourselves and, you know, so we need to keep this, which is like, but it's not yours. It's like, okay, it fell. I mean, I guess if it fell in their territory that they're claiming it, but it belongs to the people who it belonged to. I mean, I don't know. Like if if something falls in my backyard, like let's say a neighbor throws a frisbee in my backyard, that doesn't automatically make it mine. You know, yeah, I could keep it, and not give it back, but I guess that'd be the jerky thing. To, so maybe the Atlanteans are just being jerky, is what it comes down to. So there's all that. Um, so yeah, it's I don't know where this is going and. Um, there's some stuff with the uh, who are these these, these prisoners because there's like people with chains and yes yeah, so I don't know if they're they're targeting Superman or if they yeah I don't I don't know what's gonna happen there. Then there's a backup story, uh, Midnighter. I'm just I'm just not reading it. I'm just I don't know. It, it's I can't get into it. You know I've I've liked I don't love Midnighter, but I've enjoyed a lot of stories. Like I think I mentioned it, the Steve Orlando series. I, I really enjoyed that series. Um, Batman Black and White issue six came out. I did not read this, so I don't know. Um, oh, there's a Scott Snyder and John Romita Jr. story. I didn't realize that. There is a Nick Darrington story. 
Um, maybe I'll check this out later, but it's just so hard. I mean, this is, I guess this is a story to read. Like if you have nothing else to read, if you have extra time, you know, time to, to pass, because I feel like there's just so much that I can't take the time to read this when I'm trying to read everything else. Okay, then uh, Batman Superman issue 18. So there's a few books where, I, again, where I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get to the point where it's hard for me to read everything that I feel like I'm supposed to be reading. You know, I want to read it to, to let you guys know how it is, but it can't be interesting to read where, or to listen to, you know, if I'm not digging something because I don't want to read something and just tear it apart because... I don't feel that that's constructive. There is something if like a particular issue just all of a sudden falls apart, you know, or if, if it's just out of the ordinary and to let you know, because then maybe you can avoid it if, if that's not something that you'd be into. But I'm kind of looking at it. So like with with Batman Superman, you know, Gene Luen Yang, you know, he, he, he does a good job. Ivan Rice does art. I mean, the art is really good here. And it, it's a fun story, but I feel like it's a story that quote unquote doesn't really matter. It's it's like a fun story. This would be like a great collected story or, you know, however, I forget how many issues this has been. Um, but I feel like it's not gonna have any big repercussions for like the Batman or Superman titles. So it's, it's I don't wanna dismiss it as unimportant, but at the same time when I'm, you know, trying to read through everything so I can record this in time and, you know, do everything, watch everything that I'm trying to watch. And, and again, I know that's like, you know, whatever lame excuse, but it's just, you know, stuff, this is something that I wouldn't necessarily read right away. And maybe it would be like a week or two later, but I feel like I need to read it obviously to say current every week, even though maybe you don't necessarily read it, you know, everything every week on time. So it's it's definitely a fun story, and there's lots of cool moments and and stuff that happens, but I can't you know put it at the the top of my list of priorities to read. So I don't know. Okay, then we had uh, Detective Comics 1036. So I'm enjoying this. We have a uh, Batman and Huntress kind of like working together because you know she's investigating, and at first it's kind of like okay she's sort of accusing batman of of murdering that the one woman what was her name like sarah something and because you know a woman that she kind of ran into was killed and you know so she's taking an interest in what you know what's going on with the these murders and um so they're, they're looking into things and so we're getting a little more information as to like who killed that woman and uh Batman ends up finding something that was like kind of interesting and you know Huntress is kind of calling him on it and everything like that. So there, there's some cool stuff. I'm I'm really enjoying this. Uh I, I like what Mariko Tamaki is, is doing. And I I mean it's it seems maybe I don't know if it's silly or not, but I really think that we should be I don't know if there's been a lot of fanfare or mention of this, but this is I mean, how many women have actually written Batman or Detective Comics? I don't know if there's been very many, if if any. So, I mean, I think this is awesome. This just shows it, it doesn't matter. You don't need a dude to be writing Batman. You know, you can have... I mean, Mariko Taki is, is an awesome writer, and I, I really i am enjoying what she's doing. And, and just the, the idea, like, Bruce Wayne living in this brownstone, and, you know, because he moved out of the manor, and he's in the city, and, and is, like, his neighbors that they've been introduced and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm really intrigued with this, this story about, the, you know, the murders and stuff like that, even though it's not super flesh. But thank goodness it's not Joker. 
you know, no offense to everyone, you know, <laughs> doing Joker stuff, but I we just we need some other stuff once in a while. So you know, you should be being. This is good. So Detective and Batman are both like you know top notch going on. Harley Quinn issue three. I'm just having such a hard time with this series. So Stephanie Phillips is she's doing a good job. I like what she's doing with the direction of this. You know, Harley's she's like try starting this like support group for people who have been um abducted or, or dealt with like jokers and clowns like you know especially after the joker war and everything like that and you know she's had a lot of issues and stuff you know being under joker's thumb and stuff like that but what kind of bothers me or one of the things that bothers me is, is hugo strange i i'm just i've never really been a huge fan of his and i just i don't ever know his history because like now he's like in charge of he's at arkham but so is there no history where he's been revealed to be like cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and, you know, doing like unethical things? And I guess not. And then the other thing is, while I, I really enjoy Riley Rosmo's art, I almost feel like it's it's too over the top here. It's too animated. I mean, even looking like Hugo, like the shape of his head. I mean, it has a great, it's a great stylized look. And again, don't get me wrong. I mean, if you know, if you've seen me trying to draw lately, you know, I would love to have a style. Of, and I, I loved what, what Riley Rosmos does, but it just feels like certain stories, it works better than others. And, and for this, where, you know, is this in the main continuity or not? And, you know, should that matter? Is, you know, it, it does because, you know, they're talking stuff about Joker War and, you know, we've had Harley and, and Batman. And so I, the, the art sometimes is, is a little distracting because it feels like it's taken me out of the story a little. Okay, Mr. Miracle came out, um, Source of Freedom. This is continuing from the, the future Future, I don't even remember what it's called now. Future State. I was gonna say Future's End. It's like that's not right. So I didn't really get into that. I didn't read read those Mister Miracle stories. So if you have, you're probably digging this. But I really can't speak on on anything. I was flipping through it, and I'm like, I don't really know what's going on here. So, um, but there's something at the end. Is like, okay, well that could be a little interesting. But I, I don't feel like going back and trying to read the other ones. But I. If if I had more time and patience, I would. So let me know how it is. Um, the other history of DC Universe came out. I didn't look at this. So who's this about? Uh, Renee Montoya. So there could be I, these books have been like pretty fascinating. So I, I they're and they're heavy reads too. I mean they're this is like over forty pages and there's a lot going on there. But I I would recommend these. You know it's John Ridley writing those. Uh, Robin number two came out. So spoiler, if you read the first issue, you know Robin wants to take part in this tournament, this Lazarus tournament on Lazarus Island or something like that. Basically, there's like this match, like death match or whatever coming on. So he goes there and then right away, you know, as the rules are being laid out, he is like, I just want to fight, whatever. He just goes in there and gets killed, gets his heart ripped out. And it's just like, how do you come back from that? So Robin's dead. Damien is dead. Or is he? Does he somehow come back? And uh, we find out more. I mean, if you look at the preview pages, you know, you, you can see what's going on. But uh, we find out more about the tournament, like what the actual rules are and everything. And 
um, Ravagers plays a, a, a big role, like trying to explain things and everything. And she has her own purposes for being there. The, my only thing is, it feels like if this is a, the big deadliest deadly fighter tournament, that there should be other deadly fighters. And and you know some of the ones people that are there, it's like I what some you never heard of. And two, it's like really these people are here, but that's fine. Stargirl Spring Break Special Issue 1. So this was a, a, a fun book. This is Jeff Johns wrote it. Todd Knock. You know, so right there, Jeff Johns and Todd Knock. I'm I'm excited. I love that. And uh, there's even uh, Fred Hembeck does a, a tiny bit. And um, this is it's a it's an interesting story the way they lay things out. You know, trying to put the history of like the Justice Society and everything because you know they they mentioned that they were active like in the 40s and i think they were all kind of there's like some time travel stuff that was involved because you look at like pat dugan how can he have been with the justice society and then still be like a fairly young dude that's you know in the the stripe armor working with star girl and we also find out i don't know if it's um i guess it's mentioned in the the preview so green arrows with red arrow kamiko and you know they're they're talking about stuff, and she's like, "You're not even the the first green green arrow." He's like, "You you know," he's like that clean shaven guy from the forties. You know, you swiped his his mo, and Ollie's like, "I didn't swipe anything." He's like, "The first green arrow was me." And so there's like basically time travel stuff like that where him and Roy ended up in the past for a bit, and they fought with the seven. I guess they weren't the Just Society; they were the Seven Soldiers. And um, so that makes things kind of interesting that that they they did that and everything. So I enjoyed that, and it's a uh, I like reading more. I, I feel like I haven't read a whole lot with Star Girl because I, I did read the Justice Society comics, which I've been wanting to reread those. So maybe someday. So you should check this out. And again, it's, it's Todd Knockart. So how can I I not read that? Strange Adventures issue ten. Uh, yeah. So I, apparently, I, I think. This book ticked off a lot of people or some people. So one of the characters, I mean, as we're, the whole thing with this story is, you know, there's, you can tell that there's a hidden truth. There's something going on. You know, Adam Strange and, and his wife, they're talking about like the, the war on Ran and, you know, how her daughter was killed and, and everything. So you know something is up. You know, like something with the death of his daughter, something with the war, something with Adam's involvement and everything. And we basically find out this issue. So basically, uh, one or possibly more characters are made not to look so great. And that could be really... I I could see if you are a fan of these characters, because, you know, Mr. Terrific's here, I should mention. uh, I I could see how it would be upsetting and you know like extremely upsetting just like i wasn't happy with what happened to wally west that that still bothers me what happened in heroes in crisis and uh so i don't know it's just i i i just don't understand the thing you know it feels like i don't know if tom king is is right trying to write not necessarily controversial stories or controversial takes on characters just because you know it, there's there's a shock value of it you know where when you pull the rug out from someone and you know you weren't expecting that 
but is that the only reason you're doing it? And, you know, you could always say, well, let, let's shake up the status quo. Let's do something a little different so it's not just the same thing, you know, decade after decade. But I also don't think it's really makes a lot of sense or it's really good to completely change a, a person's motives and then then it's like well what are you gonna do after that it's like oh you're gonna have to have some like redemption arc or something and yeah that that's an option but i don't know i i just think you know when you alienate fans and maybe it you know maybe that if that character's not like super popular it doesn't matter you know because then you know the the pros or outweigh the, the cons or whatever or i don't know but i'm just you know, it's and what's going. On? So it's like Tom has did what he did to Wally. He did what he did here. He did what he did to Alfred, which I'm still not happy. So yeah, things aren't aren't <laughs> aren't going so 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 great. Okay, and then uh, Teen Titans Academy. So there's a uh, you know there's some like crossover stuff that's happening or coming up between uh, Teen Titans Academy and Suicide Squad. And, you know, we're finding out more about uh, Bolt, the, the speedster, like why, you know, because Amanda um, Waller is, is after her. And, you know, we, we see a little bit of her story and everything like that. And there's more with uh, Red X. Like, who is this Red X? We still don't know. Spoiler. I'm going to say that. But what is Red X? What is he, he, he assuming it's he, what is he up to and and what is he doing with the, uh, the Suicide Squad or Amanda? And, and so there's some interesting things going on here. And uh, I'm not really sure where this is going, but it, it's keeping me interested, intrigued. So it's uh, definitely something different. And this idea that, you know, we have this Teen Titans Academy, which I, I'm not super crazy about that, but it is kind of interesting, to, you know, we're, as we have this other stuff that's going on on top of you know so it's not just like oh it's a school for superheroes you know there's there's definitely more that's happening that you know we're, we're not sure and that's to me what what keeps it interesting over at marvel we had aliens number three and i'm i'm not super crazy about this and i don't know i for me the, the main thing is you know i'll watch a, a good aliens movie you know that i think that could be really cool but as a comic, even with like Salvador LaRocca's art, which is, you know, I, I, I like it. It just, because it doesn't have that live act, not, yeah, I, maybe live action, but there's like the, no, none of the movement and fluidity and just a, the, seeing the effects and, and everything. So it doesn't quite have the same impact on me as I just read this. And like, you know, even seeing these aliens, which they look really cool and everything, you know, the way they're drawn. But. It's like not as creepy or scary or, you know, whatever is going on because it's being told in this format. And so like the, the story, the story is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in, in, in what's going on and, and seeing how this mess is unfolding. So I'm, I'm interested. In, I mean, obviously, I'm going to keep reading it. I, I could easily just say, well, I'm not going to read it, but I'm not... Um, I'm not super excited. The only reason I might read this earlier is like if I'm reading comics in order on the Marvel app, because you know sometimes I'll just go alphabetically and read them. But yeah, I, I'm not totally digging it, but it, I'm still interested enough. So I mean, if you're, I, I would be interested. Like you know, if if someone was like a super duper hardcore Alien fan, would they be in, into this or not? Maybe. 
Um, Better Ray Bill, issue three. This, uh, so again, here as, as I'm reading this, I was like, I'm not loving this. And maybe, you know, I, I can appreciate Better Ray Bill for being like the weird and, you know, Thor adjacent character. With his stuff going, stuff happens like with his ship. So the ship now has like a humanoid form. And, you know, he's he's trying to find a new weapon. And uh, I don't know. It's because, you know, part of the, the problem, it stinks for him that he's stuck in this horse form that he can't turn humanoid. And part of it is because Stormbreaker was destroyed, which you see that. So, like, the cover doesn't really have anything to do with what's going on inside. So, I don't know. It was it was an okay issue for me. Black Widow issue 7, I, I'm enjoying this. And with this one, I don't think there's, like, a, if I remember correctly... It, there's not like a, a lot of hardcore, super duper crazy, over the top, you know, nonstop action, but I'm still digging this so much. And there's something about the way Kelly Thompson writes Natasha and Yelena. I mean, it just, I don't know, it just, it just feels right. And, and when they're like with this, so there's like a difference between this and like even like aliens. This to me feels more, more like there's more fluidity or something. Uh, that the characters feel more alive and um it, it, which is weird to say because you know like in aliens you know there's aliens attacking and running around and shooting and stuff like that but this it just i don't know i and maybe it's just a history of the characters or because i you know i like black widow and but i just i really enjoyed this the story as we're you know seeing more of this you know stuff folding out um this the story unfold folding out that's what am i even saying here but uh it it's yeah, it, it is good. Now, I mean, looking at this says new story arc. I didn't think this was a new story arc. I thought this started up a couple issues ago. Or maybe it was last issue was the first one. Oh, and then um, I'll just say it. I, I don't know if it's a spoiler. Um, it doesn't mention it in the synopsis. But I'm going to say it anyways. Anya Corazon, so Spider-Girl, she shows up in here. And I think that's awesome because... I, I like that comic. I like that character, and I feel like we haven't really seen her. I don't know what when the last time we saw her. So she appeared in here, so that scores some more um, cool points with me because I, I, I thought it was cool to see her. Now, unfortunately, oh, goodness, Heroes Reborn. This is like, it's almost not necessarily like a nightmare, but we're getting like all these spinoffs, and oh. so... I don't know. Maybe this just isn't for me. I can totally appreciate. I, I like the idea of flipping a you know bunch of a universe whatever on its on its side and seeing the characters slightly you know different and with the opportunity you know that that's like what the what if books are. That's what makes them so fun and exciting where things are just so different. But here, I don't know. I guess the the I feel like okay, you you have all these big changes and you know everything, but everything is just going to go back to normal. Now, it, maybe it's possible that some things are going to stick. I don't know. But I'm just, uh, I just feel like there's so much. And it's like weird because like the main stories, or the main, main series, you know, the Heroes Were Born series. So like issue four, this is focusing just on Dr. Spectrum or whatever. But like, you know, issue four, this is focusing just on Dr. Spectrum. And like issue three, focus on Blur. And uh, issue two, I think, was was that like Hyperion or whatever? 
So it's weird how the main series feels like it's almost like a, a side series where it's focusing on different ones. And, you know, you see stuff like I don't if I remember correctly, I don't even think like Blade and Captain America and all of them appeared in this issue, you know, trying to reform the Avengers. Then there is a Heroes Reborn, Magneto and the Mutant Force. The only reason I wanted to read this was because Bernard Chang does the art. You know, Steve Orlando writes it. So we, we see the different versions or the different takes, like how things have changed a little bit with basically the, the X-Men, you know, Magneto and, and all of them. But as I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to read this, I'm just like, I kind of don't want to learn their histories and try to figure out what has gone on, where are they at now, where are they going there's like all this, you know, you're getting however many years of, of history with these characters. And then, you know, if, if it's just all going to get erased or revert back, then it's like I, I don't have the the mental real estate to you know, try to sort all this out. I, I don't know. <laughs> then there's a Heroes Are Born Siege Society. And... uh I don't even remember what's happened. This Black Widow and Hawkeye lead an assault on a squadron. You know, Baron Zemo. It was an interesting team, and yeah, they're, they're like in Europe, so it's like you know Zemo was kind of leading them. And I was like, is Hawkeye like European now? Or like, what's going on? And um, Scott Lang. At first, I think he was like almost like in a red ant or dark ant or black ant. I was like, is that which Ant Man is that? Is, uh, I don't know. And then uh, there's another one. Yeah, young hero or heroes were born. Young squadron. The only reason I wanted to read this is because Miles Morales is in his new costume. He's like a falcon. But this was kind of like champions in the heroes were born universe, and it was just it was okay. I hate to say. Maestro Warren Pax issue five. This was a I, I did enjoy this. See, so I there are comics I like. I know I'm being very negative or very um, non-committal to stories or whatever, but I there's stuff that I that I am enjoying. Uh, so with this, it's basically Maestro, um, Maestro, Maestro, not Maestro, Maestro, and uh, Doctor Doom, which is is kind of cool seeing them basically go up against each other. Because, you know, they're both super smart and it's not just going to be physical. There's going to be some physical nature of it. And uh, it's just some, some cool moments. Miles Morales, Spider-Man, issue 26. So this is continuing the, the clone saga. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with this. I'm not loving it. I'm not completely blown away. I'm definitely curious, like, what's going on? What does this all mean? You know, who are these clones and what what's why are they here? And uh, things are getting messed up in Miles' life, which you know isn't isn't fun to see. But that's what drives us, the story forward. And uh, yeah, so he's he's got his hands full because right now, I mean, thank goodness it's only three, but it, it's Miles against three clones, and um, things aren't going so well for him. And uh, not only are they attacking Miles, but they're attacking like his personal life. So they actually managed a way to, to do that. So. Um, yeah, but this issue, I mean, I was just okay with it. I'm, you know, I'm curious to see what's going to happen, but I don't know. <laughs> we have New Mutants issue 18, and I've been okay with with New Mutants lately. 
there's uh i mean yes there's some interesting stuff with like the 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 group of kids who are doing like this body swapping and uh you, you know and part of it is the mutants in 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 question they're not they're not like super happy with their physical forms after their mutation. So they're looking at it at a, this is an opportunity to have like to be in a normal body and see what it's like. So like they're trying to go to the body farm where like the dead bodies have been donated and they're one and Gab, Gabby, um, X 23's clone. She's like, you know, shadow King is just manipulating you to do this. He's using you. And I know what it's like to be used and you shouldn't be using these bodies without their permission because that's not cool. And they're, and they're like, well, but they donated them. And I agree. It's like, you shouldn't be able to inhabit someone's dead carcass. And, you know, even though, cause they're in a new body. So the, the main thing is I, I love Rod Reese's art. I think that's, it's so cool. Just to, I, I just was like, sometimes just like sit and look at like a panel and the detail and the coloring and everything. Reptile issue one. Um, after the, his appearance in that Spider-Man comic, I forget which one it was. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll give Reptile a chance. And this was, this was okay. This was good. You know, better than I thought when I first heard about it, that he was getting his own comic. And I do feel that this is important in some ways. You know, we we need more comics with different races. And, you know, we don't have a lot of Latino characters in comics. And I I keep saying it's like, you know, if I don't want to see a regular character, you know, have their ethnicity, ethnicity changed just to be diverse. I think if we need, you know, we do need more diversity but we need to make more characters like you know i would say you know with like kamala khan being ms marvel i'm fine with that because carol danvers is no longer ms marvel so no one's miss marvel carol danvers is captain marvel so yeah make kamala khan you know she's a great character on her own and she's not just like a ms marvel clone because she doesn't even have ms marvel's power so totally different so you know stuff like that and you know i i mentioned like yara floor being wonder girl so yeah she's taking a wonder girl mantle that's fine, but she's her own character, so I'm fine with that. But then, like what I talked about last week with like Snake Eyes movie, now to, you know we're making his character Asian, so we can have an Asian actor take the lead or take the, take the role. That's great, but it's changing who the character was. It's a minor thing, but anyway. So I I feel like if we had more Asian characters and diff- that weren't like stereotypical characters. If we had more Latino characters, more black characters, more whatever characters of different ethnicities and genders and, and all that, rather than change someone. It's like, is it, was it necessary to make Iceman gay just to have another gay character? Yeah, you know, okay, you're kind of retrospect or whatever, going back and saying, yeah, there was always a gay character on a team. No one just knew it because he he was in denial. All right, fine. But I just feel like if you want to make these other, you know, you want to branch out to other people, build up these strong new characters. Don't just take existing. Because to me, and what do I know? But I feel like it's a little lazy when you're taking other characters and then trying to put them into another you know, square peg, a round hole or whatever, just to check off a, a button or a box and say, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing this, this, and this. So with Reptile, you know, he, he is a Latino character, so that's great. Um, I'm just not super crazy about the character, a guy that could turn into dinosaurs, but I think that's kind of fine if you embrace it. And 
so we're, we're seeing more about him and he's uh where do you go to la i think and uh there's some stuff about kamala's law where he's like well i i can't even be a hero because i can get in trouble and and stuff like that so it was it was fine you know i i don't love the character i never loved the character but i will definitely read and you know support this book how i ever i can because i i think it's it's great if there are young readers who can look up to him awesome and you know kids love dinosaurs so it seems like this could be there could be potential there to reach new audiences so maybe older audiences might be like what this kid turns into a dinosaur you know that's fine star wars darth vader issue 12 i keep feeling like you know all this stuff is it's prelude you know through this war to bounty hunters but i feel like eh, this wasn't quite so much this is again emphasis on prelude so there's there's some fine stuff in here um and we see different things like darth vader and like kind of like not necessarily runs with han solo but like issues that he might have against han solo and uh so there's a couple interesting not necessarily alternate takes on it but like alternate views of certain situations and you're seeing that and because you know basically like the, the main thing of darth vader could have issues with han solo you know he was about to shoot luke and prevent the death star from getting blown up and then han solo came and wahoo you know that whole thing so it's, it's definitely interesting when you think about the history that darth vader and han solo have even though it's not super obvious so it, it, i think that that was kind of interesting and an X Men uh, issue twenty, and uh, <laughs> it's funny the synopsis for this system online processing. So Mystique plays a big role in this. You know, she's trying to look into some things, but uh, this woman wants to revive, like her. I don't know. Remember if it was her husband or lover or whatever, and they put him like in a Nimrod body, and so you know it's not a human body, but they were able to put him in there. So this is. Kind of like the counter to like the X-Men being able to revive themselves if they get killed, but they are able to clone bodies and put the people, you know, the, the consciousness in there. So it's similar, not quite the same, but um, Nimrod, I, I have a strange relationship, whatever, not really relationship, but with, with Nimrod, because I think he looks weird. The idea, you know, it's this big pink robot and, you know, because if you think about it, so it's kind of like the big pink Easter bunny or whatever, but it's it's really this deadly robot thing. And but what I what I can appreciate, why I kind of have a tiny bit of fondness for Nimrod is because when I first started reading X-Men comics, like, you know, in the 180s, 190s, you know, that's when Nimrod was kind of first. Because I remember, I don't remember the whole, it's been so long, but he was like, he had like a human guys. I remember him renting a room from this lady and, you know, she had no idea that he was this, you know, mutant hunting killer robot. And yeah. So, but other than that, I, I was just okay with the issue. I'm okay with like, so uh, I, I don't hate it. I'm just not like blown away, like super excited. So what, what books were, where was I really excited for this week? Black widow, I would say, at, at Marvel, and uh, yeah, I mean nothing else. Like my my socks are still on when it comes to you know the other books. And at DC, I really like I enjoyed the Spring Break, the Star Girl comic, and mainly that's because it was a uh, Todd Knox art. 
Other than that, I don't know. I mean, Robin is interesting. You know, I, I'm curious to see what, what Joshua Williamson is going to do with that. But, yeah, not a, not a whole lot. And then uh, yeah, Image, I mean, Ascender, just great art, great story, and Department of Truth. So that's going to be comics for the week. Okay, Mayor of Easttown, Season 1, Episode 6, Soar Must Be the Storm. So there's a, a lot that happens here. Um, some revelations and everything. I'm not sure about how I feel about some of the rev- revelations. I don't know if I believe. I mean, it. so we have one more episode after this. So let's just get to it because I feel like I'm. there's a lot, lot to describe what happens here. So Mayor wakes up in the hospital, her family sitting there, including Frank, and she's groggy. And at first it's, it's like, it's like, oh boy. Cause like her, her right eye was like blurry. So I was like, did she lose part of her vision or something? And, you know, so she just goes back to sleep. Then, uh, we see on the news, uh, Katie Bailey returns to her, her, you know, mother and her daughter after a year, the police chief's talking and he's like, you know, how it's a good day for many, but they lost one of their own. Mayor's watching from the hospital bed because, uh, Collins Zabble, you know, he, He's dead. So um, then we see Aaron's bike gets pulled from the river by the police. Deacon Mark is in the police station talking to him. He says, you know, he's like, I already told you. You know, he's like, I dropped off Aaron at Brandywine Park. So they've been obviously talking for a little while. So he tells him that he dropped off Aaron at the park. Then he drove back to the rectory. Um, Then they're like, well, Father Dan came in this morning distraught. And Chief asked him, he's like, did you toss Aaron's bike in the river? So he admits that he did, but he's like, I didn't kill her. Then the chief asked him, he's like, well, what happened to your face? And he says that he fell. So he didn't want to tell him that he got beat up by, you know, those, those guys or whatever. The chief says, he's like, you know, I don't believe a word that comes out of your mouth. And he, so he gets placed under arrest for tampering with evidence. Mayor um, comes home. There's reporters in the driveway waiting and stuff like that. Lori helps her, helps her inside. And it's funny when Helen, her, uh, Mayor's mom, opens the door and everything like that, that she flips off the reporters. So Mayor finds out uh, about John. Um, Lori tells her, um, her John's Lori's husband, that she, he's sleeping with Sandra again, and you know she says that Ryan had seen John with her, and um, Lori's like, you know, the last time John had an affair, she's like, I could feel it, you know, he was there's late nights at work, he rushed out of room to answer the phone, she's like, this time there's nothing, she's like, I was just like blindsided, and Mary's like, well, you know you're gonna have to be tough this time. You know, he's going to turn on the charm and he's going to say that he's changed and everything like that. And she's like, I know, I know. She's like, but you know, I still love him. And you know, so where is he at now? So he went to his father and Billy. So Billy's still living with, with their dad. And so he's going to go over there. So then we see John and his dad are moving in a mattress, whatever. So his dad, Pat, he's like, you know, it's like, what happened this time? And John's like, Lori thinks I'm having an affair. And he's like, th- he thinks you are, or you actually are. He doesn't say anything. So he's like, you know, what are you going to do or whatever? So then Billy comes home and John's like, hey, why don't you, you know, help me move this in there? And he's like, it's like, it's like, why don't you do it or what? He, he's like mad at him. He's like, you messed up. He's like, you clean up your own mess. And then, you know, he just storms off, goes out in the basement. Like in his, that's where his room is, I guess. And dad's like, he's like, I don't know what's going on with, with Bill. So Mayor's watching the news again. Uh, you know, she's watching the bit about the chief talking about Zabble. Mayor decides to drive over to his mom's. She knocks on the door. She's like, you know, I'm so sorry about, you know, Colin. And she's like, I want you to know that, you know, he was a wonderful detective. He saved my life. And she slaps him there. And then she slaps him again. And she's like, how dare you come to my house? She's like, who the hell do you think you are? You can just go through life, do whatever the hell you want without any consequences. If my son didn't follow you to that house, he'd still be alive. She's like, don't you come here again. 
but it's like they're doing their jobs so it's just i mean whatever she's upset it just seems a bit extreme so she goes back home and helen asks her how it went and mayor just breaks down and starts crying and helen hugs her so the uh, police chief talks to mayor and he, he's like the two cases aren't related so he's like this that dude didn't kill aaron he was visiting his mother that weekend he's like the fbi confirmed it and he, you know so she's like when are you gonna tell the public he's like well i probably have like a week until i have to do it and she's like, well, why are you telling me all this? She's like, I don't work for you anymore. And he's like, well, I, I let Hauser go this morning. So I think that was a guy that was working with Zabel. He's like, tomorrow morning, you're taking the case back. He's like, unless you want to keep staying at home with your mom and scratching your ass. And she's like, she thanks him for, you know, sticking with her or whatever. And he's like, oh, one more thing. He goes in the car, gives her her badge back. But he didn't give her a gun. <laughs> but I'm sure she gets it back. So Mayor has a, a cast on her arm, which I, I didn't notice that before. So her mom's like helping her, you know, or stuff like that. <laughs> and this is the part I like. It has totally nothing to do with, you know, no importance and everything, but it, it just it adds to the characters. Because Mary's like, "Was that a fart, mom?" And she's like, "It was my shoe. They sound like I'm farting." <laughs> and she gets like angry at her. So then a doorbell. It's Richard. So Helen's like overjoyed. She's like, "Oh, look who's here to see you!" And everything. So he brought like a like a gift basket. And there's there's like rolling rock and like cheesesteak sandwich and stuff like that. So she tells him all the details, and he's like, oh, I'm you know, sorry about your colleague. He's like, that's got to be rough. And she's like, yeah, Colin. You know, she's like, yeah, it is. And then he's like, you know, your dad would be proud. He found those two girls. And then she says she wants to confess something. She's like, I canceled the night of your birthday to go on a date with Colin. She's like, it was just his friends, but, you know, it wasn't really the right thing to do. He's like, no, that's, that's okay. You know, that's, that's fine. And she says that she's like, I have to get my crap together. She's like, I can't do this. And he's like, well, how about when you feel ready, if you ever do, you give me a call and ask me out. And she's like, well, how do I know you won't be spoken for? And he's like, you won't, but he's like, I'm 52 and I'm living in East town. So your odds are pretty good. <laughs> so then, uh, this dude is talking to the chief and mayor about like bullets, you know, the different types of bullets, the striations, all that stuff, whatever. The gun that killed Aaron was a Colt detective revolver. So it's a popular gun in the eighties. And mayor's like, are they s still around? And the dude's like, nah, he's like, production stopped in 95. So it's not like an overly common gun, which could be a good thing, make it easier to, to figure out. The, then the secretary comes in, Brianna Del Rosso is on the phone for mayor. So Brianna is a Dylan's girl, sort of girlfriend. Mayor and the chief, they go to Brianna's. She says that she woke up, did they go there or did they, she come to her? I don't remember. Anyways, she said she woke up at two in the morning and Dylan wasn't in bed. She walked around, he wasn't in the house. So the chief's like, so you lied when you said that you were with Dylan, all right. I, her parents are there with her too. So Mayor says, you know, it looks like you're just coming forward because you want us to help you with the assault case. And she insists that she's not asking for anything. She's like, I swear. She's like, I just want to do the right thing for Aaron and that baby. And the chief's like, okay. He's like, well, you may have to come down to the station to sign a statement, whatever. So, yeah, they were at, at her house. And then Mayor's like, I appreciate you calling. So then they go to leave. And Brianna's dad, he calls Mayor. He's like, he apologizes about the way he behaved. So he, like, threw a gallon of milk or whatever and all this stuff like that. And he's like, it's a brave thing you did saving those girls. And she just, like, nods and walks out. So Mayor brings Dylan in to wrap to, you know, she claims to wrap, some, wrap up some details on Aaron's case, and she just needs to, him to, like, write down, you know, all his activities, what he did, you know, so he can sign it off, whatever. He's like, I left the woods at 11.45, I went home, and I went to bed, and she's like, with Rihanna? And um, he's like, yeah. And Mary's like, and what, was it a good night's sleep? You slept until morning? He's like, yeah. And Mary's like, 
well, you know, we just talked to Brianna and she says that you weren't home at night when she woke at two in the morning. So then he's like, well, I couldn't sleep. So I, I drove around and I smoked a bit of weed. And she's like, alone? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, what does it matter if you're just trying to tie up loose ends? And Mare says, Wayne Potts didn't kill Aaron. But you already knew that, didn't you? Then she's like, did you steal Aaron's journals, Dylan? She's like, was there something in there that you were trying to hide? And he pauses. He's like, I think I want a lawyer. And Mara's like, yeah, that's smart. And she's like, and when your lawyer calls, tell him that your alibi is falling apart. And the police just said that you're the prime suspect in our murder investigation. So then Siobhan, I think Saban, Saban, whatever. Siobhan, Saban and the, the DJ, they're, they're walking. And she, Saban says that she talked to the professor at Berkeley. She's like, she's great. You were right. You know, she's great and inspiring. And she wants me to fly out and visit the campus. And the, her, the DJ, her girlfriend's like, are you going to do it? She's like, well, I don't know if my parents want me to go that far. But she's like, well, you know, you should think about it. So then we see at a dry cleaner. So Carrie works at a dry cleaner. She's tired and everything. And a coworker, she's opened some drugs. She's like, you want a little pick-me-up? And she looks at it and she's like, no thanks. So at least that's good that, you know, she's not turning to drugs. Um, then Mayor talks, goes to talk to the therapist. Therapist is surprised she's back since the department isn't requiring her to be there anymore. But Mayor says that she can feel it happen again, like the panic, people expecting her to be something that, you know, and she isn't good, like good enough to be that. So the therapist, she's like, can I offer you some insight? She's like, I'm worried that you haven't effectively grieved your son's death. You know, you sought out an external solution to your internal pain. And, you know, you've been hiding behind other people's grief. She's like, first Katie Bailey and then Aaron. She's like, even after the cases get solved, the grief will still be there until you confront it. Then she's like, can you, um, she's like, can I ask you if you, you can walk me through the day that um, Kevin died? And she's like, it was a Sunday. She's like, you know, the, a neighbor called because they saw him go in the back of the house that, you know, he was living with them off and on and he had sold things like that. So, you know, they kind of put the word out that if he showed up, you know, and they weren't there to let, let them know or whatever. So uh, Mara thought that he was there for drug money or something like that. Frank was out with Drew. I forgot where they were at, but I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, swim practice, maybe. Uh, Saban was just around the corner at a friend's. So Mara called her and asked her to check on him while she was running errands. And then Saban calls back hysterical. It's like she couldn't even speak. So And Mara's like, I don't even remember driving home. So then we see a flashback. She gets out of the car, runs up the front steps, you know, goes in the house. Up the stairs, Saban's like on the floor crying. Mare goes to the attic ladder. She starts climbing up and then like crumples. So then she's like, we found him in the attic hanging from one of the beams. Then, you know, she, we see her climb up and she's like, you know, she, she cut him down. She says, I tried to catch him, but he was just so heavy. And she's like, I held him in my arms until the paramedics came and they had to pull him away from me. The therapist, she's like, I'm so sorry. And then she's like, do you still live in the same house? And Mare's like, yeah. Have you been able to go up to the attic since? And she's like, no, we, we don't. No one goes up there. Beth calls Mayor. Uh, so Beth, her, her her brother, Freddie, hasn't answered his phone in three days. Neighbor saw him going his, back in his house where he didn't have heat and stuff like that. So she's like, I, had, I just have a bad feeling about this time. So Mayor's like, okay. So she goes in. She calls out to him. Daughter's room is kind of, the door's cracked open. She sees him, opens it up. He's sitting on his bed. There's a needle in his arm. He's dead. So she sees a garbage bag with some stuff. She, she looks in there. There's like a jersey with McMenamin. 
So that's Aaron's last name. It's like a jersey. And then there's another T-shirt with like family reunion or Ross family reunion or something like that at Lake Harmon. And she's like looking at that. So it's like, wait, what's up with this? Then Beth comes in the front door and Mayor's like, wait out there. So then she goes out there. She's like, he's gone. I'm sorry. And she puts her arms around her. So then we see a video of Kevin doing a song he wrote for this girl. So Saban's still watching the video and doing stuff like that. She um, calls Ann. So Ann's a DJ. And, you know, she's like, you know, I wonder if we could talk or whatever. She's like, you know, call me back. And then um, she's sitting in the room. She takes an edible. She has like one edible in this tin. And then we then we see her like texting a lot, drinking a bottle, leaves another message. She's like, like constantly whatever. She finally decides to go out. So Beth uh, then had a memorial. There's a bunch of people at her place. Outside, Lori talks to Mayor, and um, she's, you know, that's how Beth's doing. And she's like, I think, you know, part of her is relieved, you know, just having to worry about Freddie all the time. So then Mayor, um, she's like, what about the, the family reunion at the lake? So, again, Lori, her husband, is uh, was Aaron's uncle. I think that's how it works. Or something. So she, you know, related to, to So she would have been at the, the reunion, too. So Lori doesn't you know, remember that much. She's like, it was a few months after Aaron's mom died. You know, they want to do something to lift her spirits. So they rented some cabins. And Mara's like, who was there? She's like, well, Billy, Pat, Pat's the, the, um, John's dad, Kenny, Aaron's dad, and and the kids. She's like, no one else? And uh, and then Don comes out to talk to, to Mara. So she's like, we'll you know, finish this later. So Don's like, she's like, you know, I'm sorry I didn't come to you sooner. She's like, you know, I, I've been with Katie. You know, she's struggling. She, you know, wakes up in the middle of the night. She's like, I don't think she's ever going to be the same. But, you know, you know, she wasn't doing so well before, you know, because she was on the drugs and all that stuff like that. But she's like, you know, I don't want to seem ungrateful. She's like, I'm so thankful that you returned her to me. And then they hug and everything like that. Back at the house, this is a little later in the night. A couple of Saban's friends bring her home. She's like stumbling and everything like that. And then Mary sees them. They're like, oh, she's like, uh-oh. And she like goes in the room. And they're like, she's just having a hard time. So Mary's like, okay, I'll take over. So she's like, okay, go. And Saban's like, I'm in trouble. And Mary helps her take off her coat and boots. And so Saban's just like trash. She's like, you should have been the one. Should have been you. She's like, I hate you for that. I hate you that you made me find him. And she's like, we don't even talk about him. At first, Mary's like, what are you talking about? And then she starts getting hysterical and like kind of like hitting at, at Mara and everything, like crying. And Mara just like hugs her. And she, you know, when she realizes what she's talking about, she like says she's sorry and everything like that. And they're just like hugging. So then Pat's sitting alone when John comes home. And John's like, Where's Bill? And he's like, He went off to work. And he looks at Pat. He's like, You don't look so good. He's like, I'm going to call a doctor. He's, he's like, Put the phone down. He's like, No. He's like, He's like, Put the phone down. He's like, Sit down. He's like, I have to tell you something. And there's a big pause. He's like, do you remember the night you went to Frank engage, Frank's engagement party? He's like, Billy came home late. It was like, you know, three or four in the morning. And he's like, you know, I, I woke up, I wandered downstairs to check on him, and he was in the laundry room. And we see a flashback. Billy, like, kind of like rushes to close the laundry room door. Pat's like, there's blood all over him, everywhere. And he's like, then the next morning they found Aaron. And John's like, do you, you think that Billy? He's like, did you ask him? He and Pat's like he hasn't mentioned it since that night. You know, he's like, it's, you know, he's trying to erase it from his mind, and, and he's like, "What are we gonna do?" So then we see Chief and Meredith visit Aaron's dad and lock up. So he had said that Freddie could take some of Aaron's clothes or whatever because he had missed his daughter's birthday. You know, he didn't have any money, or whatever. And um, so Kenny thought that it would be nice for someone to have use of Aaron's clothes or whatever like that. And then Mayor asks about the family reunion shirt, um, and he's like, "You know, what does this have to do with Aaron's murder?" And so Mayor shows him the locket. It's like in a little plastic baggie. And um, she's like, do you remember her ever wearing it? 
And she's like, I found it in a room where she kept her journals. He's like, there's a date on it that matches a reunion. And she's like, did she meet someone up there? And, you know, did you remember seeing her with anyone outside the family? He's like, no. He's like, you know, we, we stayed at the cabin most of the time. You know, he's like, me and Aaron stayed with Billy because he had a couple extra rooms. And Mary's just like, you know, starting to think. Uh, then we see Mare brings Drew to Carrie. So Drew's going to, you know, stay tonight with her. Mare goes over to Frank's. Um, she asks, you know, where's Faye? Faye's at her mother's house. Things have been rocky since the paternity test. Um, he asks how she's doing. You know, do you want a beer? And she's just like, no. And then he's like, how to go dropping Drew off? And she's like, he t- took her hand and he didn't even look back. And Frank's like, you know, I, I talked to the custody lawyer again. He's like, it's not looking good for us. And he's like, you know, we could lose him as early as the summer. And Mary's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. He's like, I didn't expect you to give up so easily. And she's like, well, you know, we have to give her a chance to be his mother. And Frank's like, since, you know, since when did you get so philosophical? And she's like, I don't know. She's like, maybe I'm just getting old. So then we see Carrie with Drew. You know, she's giving him a bath and everything like that. You know, the water's filling up. And, you know, he's got like his little cars and he's zooming around on the edge and playing with something like that. And she's just like, oh, you know, do it again, whatever. And she's like puts her head down on the edge as he's playing. And you know what's going to happen. She's going to fall asleep. So then Aaron's friend, Jess, walks out of her, her building. Dylan pulls up with his friend and he's like, he asks her if she told the detective that they stole Aaron's journal. He's like, did you? And she's like, just leave me alone. And he's like, oh, that's impossible. He's like, the three of us are joined together. So why don't you get in the car? Then he's like, get in the car. And she's like, starts running. And so the car like turns around, starts chasing her. You know, she's like running down the streets and stuff like that. Carrie fell asleep as Drew's playing. And he's starting to go underwater with his cars and stuff like that. Jess is still running. Uh, Dylan and his friend, Sean, they, they get out of the car and they're like looking for her. So she's hiding under a car and everything like that. And then Dylan finds her, like drags her out. He gets on top of her. He pulls out a gun to her head. And he's like, I don't think it, it looked like a modern gun. I don't know what a cult service, whatever gun is. But he's like, he, he points it at her head. He's like, don't you effing open your mouth again or you're going to end up with your face blown off just like Aaron. Understand? And her friend's like, Dylan's like, let's go. Come on. Because like, she like screamed for help and stuff like that, but I guess no one heard him. So it's like, dude, it's like you're threatening. That's like the dumbest thing he could do that he said that she's going to look just like Aaron. So the, uh, the bathtub water is overflowing. Carrie's still sleeping. This part was like, oh, my gosh, when he saw this. I mean, it, I let me go back and let's say I didn't mention it. But when uh, Mare, the whole scene of her finding her son, I mean, that that got me emotional. Just the ideas. I can't even fathom that. But anyway, so Carrie's still sleeping. Water's, like, overflowing. And we see Drew is floating face down in the water. That's just like, oh, my gosh. Like, this family is like, no, you can't do this. Carrie wakes up, and she sees him. She pulls him out. And he's like, oh, I'm fine. She's like, I can hold my breath forever. So it's just like, oh, my gosh. Um, so then John says goodnight to his son. And, he, you know, he's always so over at the house. He thanks Lori for letting him see his son, whatever. And, you know, he's he's like, I'm going to work at this. He's like, I'm going to work my way back to you. And then Lori's just like, yeah, whatever. You know, she doesn't really say anything. And then she asks him if he remembers the reunion at the lake. He's like, did anything happen to Aaron? He's like, well, nothing comes to mind. And she's like, he's like, why? And she's like, well, you know, Mary was asking. And, you know, she, she asked if, will you ask Billy for me? She says, you know, I, I remember Aaron was staying at, at, in his cabin. So then that gets John thinking. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to him. So then Mary's looking 
at photos of Aaron, like online, you know, just pictures from the reunion, whatever. And there's like one picture of, of Aaron and like in the background, you see Billy like sitting at a, a picnic table, just kind of like looking at her. So John talks to Billy and he, he's like, he's like, what am I supposed to say? And he's like, he says that, you know, dad saw him and it's like Mary's asking about the reunion. And then Billy's not, not saying anything. John's like, I need to hear you say it. And he's just, Billy just nods and he's like sobbing. He's like, you need to say it. He's like, yeah. He's like, I, I killed her. And he's sobbing. He's like, Jesus Christ. He's like, Oh God. He's like, Oh oh God. And then John just like hugs him. So then John goes to Lori and she's like, Billy, she's like, what's going to happen to him? John's like, I don't know. He's like, but we have to do what we can to keep this from mayor. He's like, can you do that for, for our family? It's like, so he murdered someone and you're just going to hide it. Then we see Billy drinking coffee alone. Um, John comes in and uh, Billy's like, I'm ready. I'm ready to confess. And John just looks on. He's like, are you sure? And Billy nods. Then John's like, you know, he's like, we should go up to dad's cabin one last time. You know, go fishing like when we were boys. It's like, why? Why Why are you, you stalling? Why, why put this off? Mare, meanwhile, goes to the jewelry store about the pendant. She asks the, the, the dude owner if it was purchased there. And he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I remember a young girl asking to sell it back. And he's like, you know, that I said that there was nothing that we could do since it was already engraved. And she seemed upset. So Mare's like, I need to know who purchased it. So he's going to go look up the records or something like that. Billy's uh, packing up some stuff for the fishing trip. He In his tackle box, he opens it like in the bottom. There's a gun at the bottom. And again, I don't know guns, so I don't know if it was a the, the one Colt. I have a feeling that it wasn't him. Anyways, more on that in a second. At the jewelry store, dependent was purchased on June 15, 2017. Mayor takes the receipt. She's like, thanks. John and Billy drive up to the cabin. Mayor goes to Lori and asks if she's seen Billy. Mayor tells her it, that it's, it's about Aaron. And she's like, you know, something happened between them at the family reunion. Lori just kind of looks away. And Mary's like, what's going on? And Lori's like, I didn't know when you asked before. She's like, I swear. And she's like, what didn't you know? She's like, John came over this morning and said that Billy came home covered in blood the night Aaron was killed. So Billy shot Aaron. Also, Billy is DJ's father. Aaron started threatening to tell everyone. And Billy freaked because she's a kid. It's incestuous. You know, Kenny is Billy's cousin. Um, the relationship started up at the reunion and then Mare's like, where is Billy now? Is he with John? And Lori finally says they went to Pat's fishing spot. So Mare calls the chief and says that it was Billy that killed Aaron and that he's the baby's father. The chief, you know, she's in the car. She's like, okay, just pull over and wait for backup. And she's like, okay, yeah, copy that. And then she guns her truck. So she's okay. She hasn't learned anything. Get your friggin' backup. Um, Billy has his tackle box with the gun because, you know, John was going to try to take it. He's like, no, I got it. Right. So then uh, this, the new, that new squeamish cop, he comes in and tells the chief that just came into the lobby looking to talk to Mayor that she has information on Aaron. Mayor um, arrives at the fishing spot, but she doesn't see the guys because they already, you know, they're already down to their whatever, the, the water, the location. Uh, Chief's talking to Jess and her mom and, and asks, why did they burn the journal? You know, what was she trying to hide? And Jess' mom, she's like, show him. So she pulls out the picture that she took. The chief looks at it, and he tells the other cop, he's like, get Mayor on the phone. Do it now. And then we see the guys are fishing. Mayor's walking around. She sees like a wet footprint on a rock. So she knows she's getting closer to him. That's where it ends. So one more episode. So, again, I, I have a feeling that Billy didn't do it. You know, maybe he shot. I 
I don't because what's up with Dylan? Dylan must be involved somehow. So I feel like Dylan finished it. You know, maybe Billy had a part. I don't know, but it's um, yeah. And I have to say, this is why watching um, week by week is better. I talked to someone who just kind of binged and like within a couple of days, like kind of got caught up. And um, so then I asked about the last episode and about when when Zabel died, and I was like, "How crazy was that?" And they're like, oh, "It wasn't. It wasn't that crazy." And I was just like, "Are you serious?" So I, I really feel watching it week by week for us, we we get to or whoever we get to know the characters more and care about them versus if you just like you don't really have time to process because it's just it's so rapid. I don't. That's 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 my argument. That's how I feel. So there you go. One more week. Uh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not looking forward to it. All right, Curl Summer, season one, episode seven. Happy birthday, Kate Wallace. So I, I have I mentioned I like the show. So I'm. I'm. Uh, we're getting closer to seeing how everything unfolds, and and things are getting kind of kind of dicey. All right. So the events that are about to unfold take place on approximately August 29th. 1993, 1994, 1995. So in case you haven't been listening, you know this is taking place over three years on the same day, and we're seeing what happens, what went down, and it just it jumps back and forth. So you have to pay attention. You have to look at, like, the filter on the camera and the way they're dressed or just, you know, just the tone of the scene to, to really see what, what goes on. It's usually pretty clear what's going on, but there was, like, one moment I'm like, wait, when is this? Because there's one point... I guess it does make sense. Uh, there's one thing, because you know, this is all supposed to take place on August 29th, but I don't think that's 100% true here. I think there's one where it might kind of fluctuate to a different day, but maybe I'm wrong. So uh, in 1993, Kate wakes up and in bed. You know, so it's her birthday. She rolls over. She sees the bunny from the fair and she kind of has a smile on her face. 94, she's sitting at her computer. She's looking a little tired. She's in a private chat on the abduction victims board. And she types, you know, how can I sleep when the cops can't come up with anything to charge Jeanette with? And uh, the person, her sister, types to drown her sorrow on birthday cake. And she's like, well, I can't either because, you know, not after he used food to control me. And she's like, a hunger strike feels like, you know, taking control back. Her mom and stepdad come in. And her mom's like, you know, the Marsha Bailey show has invited her to be a guest and she doesn't want to be on it. And her mom's like, well, you know, this way you can go, you know, you can tell your story and everything like that. But Kate's just like, whatever. And just she's like, just goes back to bed. Ninety five. She's lying in bed. Uh, Mallory had spent the night and Kate's not feeling so well, too much weed or whatever. And she's just tired. Then in uh, ninety three. So this is where it's a little unclear. So because it's it's not obviously the same day in 93. I don't think this is her birthday in 93. No, let's see, I don't think so. Because she's like holding a door closed and she's in the basement. And Martin's like, he's like, I'm not going to force my way in. And she's like, you're forcing me to live down here. And he said that he like roasted her chicken or something like that and she doesn't want it. But he's like, you need protein. You, know, you can't just live on protein bars and whatever. And you know, he's like, I wasn't going to tell you this out of, out of kindness, but people are giving up looking for you. And he mentions that her boyfriend's dating Jeanette now. They've all moved on from Kate Wallace. And he's like, you know, get comfortable. This is your world now. So, see, that's what, that's what confused me because this isn't the same date. And now it does say approximately 
it says uh, on approximately August 29th, but this feels like it's after. So it's it's got to be 93, but after her birthday, after this date. 93, uh, uh, Kate's stepdad's talking to Jamie, her boyfriend, and he tells he tells her dad that he wants to get Kate a promise ring for her birthday. And, you know, dad's like, that's a big deal for 16. And he's like, he's like, yeah, and all this stuff. But, you know, he says that, you know, he's, he wants a plan for the future, but obviously, you know, it's, it's not an engagement ring and stuff like that. Kate's getting ready and her mom's just like giving her a hard time and, and stuff like that. And just being annoying. 94 Mallory comes over to Kate and uh, Kate's surprised. She's like, Oh, you came. And so it's her first time coming over and Mallory, she finds out that it's birthday. So she didn't know that it was, she's like, it's my birthday and I'm who you invited over. And then 95, Kate's still listening to her tapes. Her therapist asks if she wants to revisit Annabelle and she turns it off. Mallory's like, okay, are you done, you know, listening? And Kate's like, well, I found it. And so she, she's like, you know, do you want to listen with me? So she plays the tape and Kate's like, who's Annabelle? And then her therapist's like, you said you met her right before your abduction that doesn't make sense and she said she's like i don't want to i don't remember and her you know breathing's getting heavy or anything like that she, and she's like i, I want to stop and then in 95 she's like how could a, a whole memory just fall out of my head and she's like who's annabelle mallory's like well you know it doesn't matter today it's your birthday and she's like i have something planned 93 jamie kate and their friends are at the food court at the mall i guess and then right then there, he's like, are you ready for your present? And he shows her a ring box. And she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, it's just a promise ring. And her, her friends are like, ooh. At 94, Kate Mallory, they're on the floor eating nachos. And so she's high. Her sister comes in, and she's surprised she's eating. And she's then she's like, are you high? And they she kind of avoid the question. But they, they ask the sister if she wants to join them watching a movie. And she finally agrees. So they, they go to run a movie. Vincent's there. He's surprised to see Mallory with Jeanette. He kind of talks to her a little bit. Uh, Kate and her sister are looking, and they decide on this like old-timey movie. Then uh, Kate mentions that Mom wants her to go on a talk show. And then we while they're watching a the movie and everything, you know, some, there's this woman's being chased. And she starts thinking back to, like, running up the stairs in the basement and you know then she's like starts yelling he's like he's gonna get you run and she's like you know just getting louder and stuff like that so then you know it cuts to a little bit after the movie you know she's trying to recover and her sister's like well yeah well paranoia is common when you're high or whatever like that or you know when things happen and kate says something like well you know so is ptsd implying you know after you're abducted whatever her mom comes in and she's like what's going on you know and they're like oh it's just a movie and then she says she wants to talk about the show. And she's like, I said no. And her mom's like, you know, it's an it's an opportunity, an honor. She keeps pushing. And she's like, can you just please leave me alone so my birthday doesn't suck as much as it did last year? So then back in 93 in the food court, Tanel offers Kate a flask. And she's like, doesn't really want it. But Jamie ends up taking it. 94, her dad made uh, more snacks after the mom left from, you know, pushing about the show. He made muffins. And she mentions the show. And her, so her, her stepdad's like, well, you know, your mom's heart's in the right place. And Kate's like, you always take her side. And he says that he, he mentions how he thinks of her as his daughter. And he says that, you know, she shouldn't rule out the show just because it was her mom's idea and everything like that. You know, cause he's saying, you know, we, we care for you and, you know, give her a chance and think about this. So then, uh, she, her mom then comes in and she's like, turn on the news. So reporters say that Kate wasn't the first girl Martin Harris had his eye on. 
this unnamed teen in the previous town says that she had a close call. So in 93 at the mall, Jamie's now drunk from the flask. It's like, flasks don't hold that much alcohol. And so he's like walking around and everything like that. And he still has a flask. He accidentally like spills quite a bit of it on Kate's dress. And so she's like, he's like, oh, get a napkin. She's like, well, hurry. I got to get home. 94, you know, watching the news, Kate mentions how it's like kind of silly that that girl compares what happened to her compared to what happened, what she went through. And then she's like, you know, Martin told me about it. And he's, he's, he said he just helped her after class, whatever. And she's like, and, you know, another girl shouldn't come out of the woodwork for 15 minutes of, of fame. And her mom's like, that's why you should go on the show and, and, you know, tell the truth, tell your story. You know, she just keeps pushing that. 93, Jamie and Kate are out, outside the mall. And she's like, we have to hurry because I have to get home. And he's like, well, we could drive my car. And she's like, well, you're drunk. And, you know, you dropped your keys in a fountain. So he's, she's like trying to help him walk. He like falls on the ground. Then he, when he finally gets up, he asks her what her favorite present was. She's like, oh, you know, maybe it was a, the original print of the talented Mr. Ripley my dad gave me. And he's like, oh. And then she realized what he's talking about. She's like, oh, no, I thought you meant like second, you know, it was like after the ring or whatever. So he's just be, kind of being annoying about that, whatever. 95, Mallory had blindfolded Kate, so she's taking her somewhere. She's like, you know you're the only person I trust to blindfold me. So they're at the skating, the roller rink. And Mallory turns on the light. She says that after her last two crappy birthdays, uh, Kate's like, you know, she's like, I'd given up on ever having a good birthday. And she's like, I don't know how I'd get by without you. So Mallory, you know, she's like, how'd you do this? Mallory's like, well, I'm the new assistant manager. So she's got the keys and she was able to, you know, close the place for maintenance. Then it cuts to them getting ready. The song today, Smashing Pumpkin song today, sung by Olivia Holt plays. So, you know, adds to the whatever mood of the, the scene. You know, they're dressed like in silly headbands. Kate puts on like this feather boa. They put on her skates. So she's really happy and everything. You know, Mallory isn't very good at skating. And even though she works there and, and she's like, is this the best birthday? Best birthday ever. You know, so she has a really good time. Then 93. <laughs> this makes Jamie's peeing like on the bushes, like right outside Martin's front door. So he comes out. What's going on? Who's out there? And then he sees Jamie. That he's drunk. He's he's like, are you okay? Whatever. So he offers to let them in the house to call her parents. And she's like, oh, no, no. She's like, I'm just, you know, a few blocks away. You know, we'll walk. Mr. Martin's like, well, it doesn't, you know, he doesn't look like he's going to be walking anywhere. So he's like, I'll drive. So she's like, okay. So then I don't know if he dropped Jamie off first because then it's just uh, Kate and Martin in the car. She's like, you know, my mom's gonna be so pissed. You know, she's like, I kept an entire dinner party of guests waiting. And, you know, her, her mom has these high expectations of rules. You know, she's like, even if she breaks them herself. And she mentions, you know, that she has this big, you know, big uh, family secret that she had. And he's like, has it gotten any better? And she's like, no. And she's like, you know, if I don't unload this, I, I feel like I'm gonna explode. Martin's like, you know, it sounds like it's time to shed some light on the situation. And she puts her hand on his hand. And she's like, that's, you know, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And he's like, well, at any time. So then they just kind of stare at each other and she gets out. So she walks in the house and it's kind of dark, you know, like in one room. And so she's calling out and then her mom's sitting in the living room. She's like, well, look who finally decided to show up. She's like, you reek of cheap booze. And Kate's like, where is everyone? And mom's like, everyone, I got everyone out of here at seven when your bony butt was doing who knows what. And, she, and she's like, well, I wasn't even drinking. And her mom's like, well, why should I trust you? And then Kate's like, I'm not the one with honesty issues. And mom's like, what are you referring to? And, and her dad, stepdad comes in. And she's like, after the night after the, the 4th of July party, 
she said she came down when mom thought that she was asleep. She's like, and I saw you. And her dad's like, saw her doing what? And then her mom, she knows what's going on. So she tries interrupting her. And she's like, oh, whatever. She's like, you know, we never fought. So there's no need to go into things. And dad's like, what did she see? And mom's like, oh, she has no idea. And then, you know, Kate's just getting mad. And she's like, I saw mom kissing Scott Jones. And Joy's like, oh, my. And just starts, like, laughing. She's like, I'm as shocked as you are. She's like, she's crying for attention, obviously. And then it cuts to Martin at home. He's just watching TV in the dark. He's, like, flipping through the channels. Then he starts thinking about Kate, like, different moments, like when he first saw her and at the, the fair and everything like that. 94, Joy is uh so kate's mom is sitting with a dad and she, you know, she's glad that kate hasn't dismissed the idea of the show just because it was her idea like you know she's the wicked witch and he's like oh well you know i'm sorry you heard that but he says but you know if you were a wicked witch we wouldn't be married and you know so she's bothered she's like you know i'm her mother and he's like and i'm her father and she's like well i'm not saying you're not and he's like i i love her he's like you had an affair you lied about it you know we fought tooth and nail to survive it but if you ever imply I'm not her father just because there's no blood between us, baby, we will not survive that. In 93, so her dad's like, someone start talking to me. And Joy's like, she was accusing you of having an affair only a few weeks back, so don't get on your high horse. And he's, he's like, is that true? And she's like, uh, well, I, I, I did misunderstand whatever. And Joy tells her, like, oh, stop running your mouth. She's like, I hardly recognize you. And she's like, you're being such a little brat. And Kate's like, and you're being a bitch. And then joy slaps her and and then it's like kind of shocked and like her dad like looks and and she's like she's my daughter and she's lying and she's calling me names she's like i'll punish her as i see fit and kate just like looks at her dad and he's he doesn't know what to say and kate just like like rushes out of the room in 95 mallory is starving after skating so they're in kate's room and uh, Mallory saw like a printer in his donation box, whatever that the Kate's family had. She's like, "Is it okay if I have this? I could really use one." And Kate's like, "Sure." She's like, uh, "That that was just our backup one." She's like, "I'm not even sure it's working." And Mallory looks at it. She's like, "Oh, it looks like it's just jammed." And she pulls out a piece of paper. And she's like, "Holy sh- poop!" And she's like, "I found something very unpleasant." And so she shows it to Kate. Kate goes on to her mouth. You know, she's got the paper in her hand, and she looks at her mouth. She's like do you hate me or something? And Joy's like, well, I don't even know why you'd ask something like that. And she shows it her printout that's, and it says liar. And she's like, did you print this and concoct a story that someone sent it? Joy just like, whoa, well, uh, and Kate's like, it was you. She's like, how could you do this? So then this is where I was a little unclear at first. So I thought this was 94. I'm still confused. This must be 95. I'm going to, I think this is 95 because, uh, yeah, it's got to be 95 because uh, Kate's sister, half-sister, sub-sister, and Jeanette's brother, are they just slept together for like the first time. So, you know, then she gets up. She's like, oh, I'm going to take a shower. And you know, she, cause I think she's in her dorm room, but it's like a nice dorm room or whatever. Because then, you know, she's 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 got a shower in her dorm room, which isn't too common. And he's like, can I check my email? But I guess she didn't hear him. So he goes on a computer and it opens up to the message boards. He reads a bit. And he like looks and then he hits print and starts printing it all out. 95. See, that's where I'm confused. So it's got to be 95. I think, actually, I still don't know. I, I probably would make sense if you go back, like when did they first start getting together when it was mentioned. Anyways, in uh, 95, Kate mentions her therapist and said that Martin was grooming her for a moment. He met her. So she was thinking, you know, she's talking about, she's like, you know, why me? 
And then she said it was obvious. She's like, my whole life, uh, you know, she's like, she's talking about, she's like, you just been toting me around like one of your purses. She's like, I did everything you asked. And I, you know, whatever, you know, and just like the moment I said something and questioned you, you tore her into me. It's like, you raised me to be blindly obedient, open. And he took that. It's like, you teed him up, you know, like the Marsha Bailey show that just got me sued. And she's like, I'm not a puppet. And she's like, how come dad sees that? And you don't. And her mom's like, you know, it's hard to see you guys joking and watching movies like we used to. And she's like, you needed a bad guy. So that's why she printed the thing. She's like, you need to, t you know, take this seriously. And she's like, I, you know, I didn't protect you from Martin Harris. And I'm sorry, but I will protect you from everything else, even if you hate me for it. And Kate's like, I, I miss you, mom, you know, because how things are just so different. 93, Kate's in a room after she got slapped. So she's packing stuff up. Joy comes in. She's like, she's basically like rolling her eyes. She's like, how did you become an obnoxious teenager overnight? And she's like, you know, you're just like me. She's like, I can predict everything that you, every, your every move. And she's like, go ahead, run away. You'll go to Tennille or what's, I forget what the other friend's name is. And she's like, until you come back with your tail between your legs. And then it cuts to, she's outside Martin's. And then, then it cuts to like further, like in the future, which again is weird. We see her sitting in the basement and she's like eating and Martin's just standing there. And he's like, I was thinking what you said earlier that I was a sicko. And I was like, me, the person who keeps you clothed and as comfortable as possible, person who prepares your food uh, before you were calling me names and making me a bad guy. I want you to remember exactly how you ended up here. So then in 95, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it's got to be 95 because Jeanette's hair, her brother brings Jeanette the printouts. And he's like, you need to read this. And she's looking at it. She's like, wait, what? And she's like, oh, my gosh. 93, Kate rings the doorbell. Martin's like, it's 10 o'clock. Is everything all right? And she's like, I did what you did. I unloaded the secret. And he's like, what happened? She's like, my mom hit me. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I was only trying to help. And she's like, I, I don't know where to go and I can't stay there. She's like, Martin, I'm scared. You know, she says his name. And he's like, come inside. He's like, I'll make you some tea. And in 95, Jeanette's looking. She's like, Kate went to Martin's willingly. She's like, this changes everything. Now, does it really change everything? So, yeah, she went there. She went inside. But she didn't ask to be locked up. And, you know, because we've seen the scenes where she was trying to run out. So she was still abducted regardless you know she was looking towards him and there's a whole thing yeah yeah he did groom her and you did like show interest and he did see that she was troubled and upset and needed someone that cared she basically you know she needed like an, an adult that was there and yeah her father's great but you know he's always taking the wife's side so you know she felt like she didn't have that and then martin was the one that was, kind of gave her this you know quote unquote unbiased support so it, it's still, it's clearly not her fault that how would she know that he's going to lock her up and not let her go? Oh, this show is just, it's, it's good and it's just, it's creepy. All right, uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Season 6, Episode 4, Bay of Squids. Uh, this episode was, uh, it was definitely better than last week. It was still, it was all right. Um, I'm starting to debate, it's like, is a time to call it quits on this show because the, these episodes, uh, podcast episodes are so long. I know some people like that, but I just wonder, it's like, do you really want like a, you know, three, four hour podcast when you're probably, how dare you? You're probably listening to other podcasts or, you know, and doing other things. So I don't know. I'm, I'm really debating 
about continuing going over this. Well, you know, I am continuing. We do have the main story of will they find Sarah Lance or not. But uh, anyways, let's just get to it. So it starts off in Sierra Maestra Mountains, uh, October 16th. 1962 it's like a military outpost and uh, there's a couple dudes there are soldiers they're speaking spanish and something is approaching and they're like they assume it's a missile and it shows up on their radar you know to last minute there's nothing they can do so they're just preparing for impact there's a you know little ground shake but they're fine they go out and see and there's one of those like alien pods and it's like sticking in the ground so of course they approach it you know, something smashes in the ground and you're going to go up to it. Uh, 1962, maybe they don't think about radiation or whatever, but it's it still, it could be a bomb. It could be about to go off, but they, they go up there and like a tentacle or something like that, like slaps against like the front container. So there, you know, there's obviously an alien or something in there. So then they, they say something like, you know, tell the commander that the invasion has begun. So then it cuts to the wave rider. Uh, Nate runs into Zari in the hall and she just woke up or something because she quote, doesn't have makeup on. And Nate's just like kind of staring. He's like, oh, you just like look just like her. You know, the other is Ari. And there's a little awkwardness. She's like, well, I could change that because he's little steel is standing to attention, I guess, or something like that. He's like, oh, it's a morning and it's a natural thing or whatever. So it's supposed to be funny there. Ha ha. Uh, Spooner is working out. Rory like orders her to bridge. He's calling everyone there. Uh, Berard is passed out because he apparently ate a bunch of edibles or whatever. So he's just doing drugs all the time now. Which I don't remember that last season, like the, this big drug binge that he's he's on. Maybe he's always done it. I don't know. And uh, so then Ava comes on the bridge and you know she says it's early, even though there's no sense of time on the ship or whatever. So Rory says he got a hit on the alien from his sketch, and Rory has um, th- he has them leave. Because Ava's like, or no, it was Zari. She's like, well, should we get John and and Astra from John's uh, place, his house of mystery or whatever it is? But uh, they take take off right away. Oh, so that now they're out in the field, and they didn't take Berard either because you know he's passed out. Rory's plan is pretty nuts. Uh, they're like, well, wh- what's what's the plan? And there's this like truck coming, and he just walks out in the road and has his flame gun and just like flames at the front, so the truck stops. And then he just like walks up to the front, pulls out a guy and he's got like a rifle and, you know, he, he starts shooting, whatever. But then, you know, Rory kind of throws him. So then Spooner picks up the rifle, starts shooting at a bunch, uh, you know, other like army trucks, cars, vehicles start coming up and they're shooting. And she's like shooting at all of them. She has like this mad woman grin on her face and, it's just, and, and she managed, you know, manages to fight them all off. So it's like, okay. So they go to the back of the, of the truck. There's a crate in there, and they figured the aliens in there. But they open it up, but it's a Soviet warhead. So then they ask Rory, they're like, where are we? Because they don't even know where they're at. They're just totally fo- blindly following Rory's lead. And he's like, oh, some island in the middle of the Caribbean or something like that. Nate asks, he's like, well, that happened to be Cuba? So it's the Cuban Missile Crisis. So then uh, Ava asks Rory, she, she's like, did you remember to cloak the ship before we left? And then the look on his face says that he obviously did not. So in Washington, D.C., uh, John F. Kennedy, <laughs> the president, he gets a call. General shows him some photographs of a wave rider, like surveillance, you know, satellite pictures or whatever. And he says it appears that the Soviets have a new bomber. 
So Gideon tells Ava that JFK just called an emergency meeting with his top advisors. Nate wants to go to Washington because I guess I think he said he wrote his dissertation on the Cold War or something like that. Zari comes and she's dressed like Jackie O and she wants to go to whatever. So Ava, um, she tells Rory to get the missile back to whoever they stole it from. Berard and Berard's finally up. Then he and Ava go to talk to some soldiers and he's he's kind of in khakis or whatever you not khakis but like camel and she's posing as like some foreign scientist who specializes in extraterrestrial um, creatures so they just are like oh of course so they let him in you know without checking any credentials or anything like that it's like okay so nate gets to meet jfk's inner circle his top advisors and it's weird. It's like they it's so easy for them to to get around and, and do this. It's like they don't have to maybe I don't know. They just don't explain. They don't bother us with the details. But he just gets in to see the president. And so they're, they're thinking of going to DEFCON 3, you know, for nu- nuclear attack or whatever. And I guess with, was it the DEFCON to lower the number to whatever, you know, the closer to the launching. They show him a picture of Wave Rider and. So they ask him, like, what his opinion is. So he's supposed to be, like, some expert on, on something. Ava and Berard arrive in the, the dissection lab, and, you know, so the alien's there, but they, they want to figure out how to kill the alien to stop the alien invasion. Um, Berard, he says he's not good with blood, so, like, when Ava cuts a little bit, like, some stuff oozes out. So it's, like, weird. He he goes to throw up. He grabs a soldier's, like, cap and runs out in the hall, but then I don't know if he actually threw up because then he ends up putting the cap on and then this other guy sees him and mistakes him for someone else. So they're, they're going to take him to a bunker to see Fidel Castro. So then inside, they think that he's Che Guevara, Castro's friend. And then he he tells Fidel, he's like, or when, when Fidel sees him, he's like, oh, I'm I'm his his cousin, Jay. And Fidel looks at him, and then he comes up, stands up, goes up to him. He's like, Jay! And he gives him, like, a hug and whatever. So it's like, okay. Uh, JFK finds out that the missile has been stolen. Russian ambassador, whatever, they're accusing him of hacking with a man of steel. And there's, like, a picture of, of Nate because uh, they fought off some of the soldiers before, you know, he turned to steel while they were shooting. So when Nate's like, he's like, oh, that picture is even faker than the, the spaceship because he said some stuff that it was like all plastic or whatever. But the general thinks that it's real. He's like, oh, they have a program that can turn the flesh into steel or something like that and you know, whatever. And he says that, you know, they should launch against Cuba before they can fire upon them. And so JFK says, okay, take us to DEFCON 3. Then Ava, um, well, in the, so she needs a stall at, in the, the, the section lab or whatever. So she had knocked like a hose off a thing. And I think it was like laughing gas or what, cause you know, everyone's kind of laughing and then, you know, they slowly start passing out, whatever. And then, um, Fidel's tells Jay that he has a missile. Um, Berard tries sneak eating a gummy off the side and Fidel sees him. He's like, Oh, you have candy, whatever. So he takes three of them. Everyone in the alien rooms passed out. Ava takes a gurney out of there or takes the alien out on a gurney. And then Rory and Spooner, they're trying to bring the missile back. So they're driving the truck and um, they get stopped by Fidel's men or something like that. And that's how he get the, got the missile. Uh, Spooner's like starting to hear an, an alien or something like that. And she says that it's pissed. She can hear it talking, I guess, in her head. And then she she's like, you know, we have to find Ava. So the alien, you know, is sits up on a gurney and then its tentacles start flowing 
and Ava's like trying to calm it down. It just like slaps her to the side, and then it's like standing over her, and then fire. Whoosh, so Rory and, Ava, and Spooner get there just in time. So now Fidel, I guess he's stoned. Um, Brard wants to play him a song on, on a guitar because there's a guitar that happens to be sitting in his office or in a bunker or whatever. So he plays uh, Cat Stevens' Peace Train. So that song's from like 1971, and this is 1962. So he just like plays it, and, and Fidel's just listening. Uh, the general's like on this little typewriter communication thing, whatever. He sets DEFCON 3. The Cubans um, under end, they set up Washington as a target, so they're getting ready to fire. Um, Fidel has tears listening to Brard play, and he's like, we're like brothers, whatever. And he's like, the only way forward is love. So then he opens the door, and the alien's out there. So Barard uses his wind power stuff, whatever, to push the door shut. And then Fidel's like, they sent their alien to attack me or whatever like that. So he orders the missile to be fired. So Ava's now back on a wave rider. Barard tells Ava, like, through his comm that he's with Fidel. And they're like, what? And they, then he's like, he thinks that the alien was sent to kill him. And she's like, why does he think that the alien's trying to kill him? He's like, because it was outside his door and tried to kill him or what? So then they're like, she's like, well, why does he have a, you know, he's going to fire the missile. Why does he have a nuke? And then uh, they find out because Rory and Spooner sort of gave it to him or whatever. So uh, the general in JFK's office, he makes a report that, um, he gets a report that Castro has a missile now. So JFK tells the general, take them to DEFCON 2. So JFK's um, giving orders and stuff like that. And then Nate, for some reason, he's like, you know, my because uh, Zari's posing as a secretary. That was like a last-minute decision. So he's like, she can type 120 words a minute or whatever. So she, he starts, like, giving, you know, his orders and stuff like that. So she's sitting there typing it all. Shay Guerrera is actually on the phone now. Fidel's talking to him. So Barrar's like, oh, the jig is up. So he blasts his way out, and then he, uh, as he's running out, Fidel's like, he yells at him. He's like, tell the CIA to cough their squid soldiers or we'll launch the nuke. Ava says that they have to go kill the alien. And Rory's like, if they do, we won't get a lead on Sarah. So he says that, you know, but she's like, you know, we have to, we have to stop this alien. We have to save history. And he's kind of like, screw history, but, you know, whatever. Spooner and Rory, they, they go off. Um, so they're trying to find an alien. She can sense it because it's looking for something. They end up finding it by the nuke and they just, they're able to get around so easily. And she thinks that it wants to get off the planet. So Rory tries talking to him. He's like, hey, dummy, you think you can get home on that? He's like, it's a missile. So Spooner's like holding her gun on it. Rory tries saying it, it's uh, not a spaceship. But lucky for the alien, he has his own ship. And then Spooner's like, it says that it wants its own ship. So Rory says that he can take it to one if it helps him find his friend. Castro, meanwhile, so he's like over to control. He hits a red button, launches a nuke. Which it gets me thinking. It's like, why? Anyways, uh, so the general finds out that people have been given like a three-day weekend or whatever, and it's because Zari changed the order, so she typed and stuff like that. So he pulls a gun on her. So the general tells the president to contact a nuclear submarine to, to fire on Cuba or, or fire on the Russians or something like that. And, you know, they have the nuclear football, the suitcase thing. So he takes it, and he's like threatening to shoot Nate, but then uh, Nate turns into steel to block the bullet. So then the general takes Zari, and Nate tells JFK's guys, his, his buddies, his inner circle, because they all went to the same college or something like that. So he's like, we have to get that, that nuclear football. So they're, they like huddle up, they're lined up. It's like they're playing actual football. And it's just like, and the general's dudes are like doing the same thing. So then, you know, whatever, they, they go through this whole thing, they get it back. JFK sold it, the missile's headed right at them. And JFK decides not to strike at the Soviets because Nate was saying 
that you know they would just fire back you know it's one missile is uh, but still headed their way so rather than because if they fire at the soviets the soviets will fire back and then like all of america will get obliterated or whatever they're, they're screwed they're just gonna have to sit there the general's like he's like well i'm not going out with, without a fight so he has his gun still he runs out out the door out like the patio door nate and zari are holding hands there's a missile coming um, outside you see the general he just like starts shooting at it he's like Rah! and then the missile lands right on top of him it just kunk, and it doesn't explode or anything it just like smashes him into the ground so why didn't it explode? I don't know. So maybe I, they, I don't even think they explained that. Rory, um, the alien and Spooner come on a wave rider. Um, Spooner says something about radiation. And he like shoves her off, and because she's like, you know, is it safe to be carrying plutonium or something like that? So the a- aliens is like fiddling with the wiring and stuff like that. You know, Rory tells Ava that he's gonna be going alone with the alien, you know, because her job is to save his. But it's like he's taking a wave rider and he's leaving her there. So how's she gonna save history if she doesn't have the wave rider or whatever? So Nate's um, staring at Zari again, and she's like, "Oh, I'm you know I'm sorry if I remind you of everything you've lost, you know, with the other Zari." But he's like, "It's like no, no, you know, you, you don't not anymore. Now you just remind me of you, or something like that." So now he's starting to like this Zari, even though she's with Constantine. So love triangle. <laughs> Everyone uh, meets up. They're sort of outside. They're off the ship. Rory stole the ship to go after Sarah. So I guess I they're stuck there, which makes no sense. Rory, um, he tries talking to Alien, and he's like, he has like a beer. He's like, I just want to say, you know, keep your hands off my stash. So then the Alien puts like on this ring, and it turns into like a human lady. So just like how the Gary Alien can put on the glasses, turn into Gary, whatever. And then she's like, I was saying, or I was asking if he had anything stronger. And she takes his beer and chugs it. And she's like, here's two long journeys. And he's just like looking at her like, I guess he's got the hots for her because she's a lady now instead of an alien or whatever. So that was the episode. So, uh, yeah. Um, it's not on next week because next Sunday is Memor- Memorial Day Eve, I guess. So it's, I don't know what, yeah. So it's back on June 6th, but I don't know. All right, now The Flash, Season 7, Episode 11, Family Matters Part 2. And no, Urkel doesn't show up in this episode either. So it's like, what's going on? So it picks up from last episode. That was really lame. Uh, everyone's dead. Barry has his hand over his mouth. He's just trying to deal with it. He goes, finally goes to Iris, and then everyone disappears. So then Bashir, it's like, he's like, so that worked. And so they're all there. Alexa's like, what happened? He's like, how are we still alive? And then Barry goes to Iris, and they like hug. And so Bashir's like, you know, as soon as Nora came in, he knew Barry was right. He could see the hate in her eyes. So he wanted to protect them all. So he made everyone see them as dead so barry's like but it wasn't a nightmare it was an illusion he's like i didn't know you could do that and he's just like and alexa's like you didn't realize it either you were just going to save yourself and she kind of like hits, hits him in the shoulder or whatever and barry asked always like why would nora attack iris and iris of course she's like i guess she sees me as competition <laughs> iris <laughs> so then uh they're trying to locate nora and there's there's you know, no signs of her in a satellite. And Barry's like, you know, it's only a matter of time until Nora senses that the other forces are still alive, so they have to hide them. They're like, well, where could we hide them? Cisco's like, there's no place on Earth that they could hide from the Speed Force. And Barry's like, well, there's one place that we go could go where she won't find them, where she didn't exist for a few months. So they're talking about the past. He's like, it's a dead zone that she can't access. So then it cuts to Joe's watching the news, and, you know, there's 
apparently like there's a lightning storm. It took out a section wall at Iron Heights. Several inmates escaped. Most of them were metahumans. And he can't do anything because he knows there's going to be some conflict between the metas and the police. But since he doesn't have his badge anymore, he can't do anything. And, you know, Cecile's there, like, talking to him, like, well, you know, what are you going to do? And, and then lightning strikes a house, hits Cecile, she goes flying across the room. In the past, Barry arrives with Bashir, Alexa, and Iris. At, it's, they're at the rundown, dusty house, which was, I guess, Barry's old house. It looks really bad. Bashir says it looks like the Adams family house. And Iris has this, this vice, this sphere thing. And... Um, I forget what it was supposed to do, if it was supposed to send them home or something like that, because Bashir's, like, staring at it like he wants it. Barry returns home, and as soon as he's back at Star Lab, Nora's there. She's like, I've been looking all over for you. She's like, where were you? And now now she has this edgy look. She's wearing kind of, like, black, like, dark clothes. She has, like, a black scarf, and she has, like, dark red lipstick. She's like, I couldn't feel you at all. She's like, that shouldn't happen. And he yells that, she's like, you tried to kill them. And she's like, you let them live. So, you know, Barry's like, you know, me and Iris brought you back when we brought them back, too. She's like, I, I could feel them plotting my death. And she's like, bring them back or I'll destroy your beloved city. And then she zips off. And he looks outside and there's like a bunch of dark clouds out there. So then later, like Cisco's like, we have a category three winds and all this stuff, or whatever. Barry zips in and he says it's Nora. There's like so many times that what I noticed, it's I don't know if they're whatever it's like they're they don't have a lot of speed force budget or whatever because barry just keeps shoom, and then he's in so we didn't want to really see him running around maybe they saved this for his one scene coming up so chester made some device to help him of course to, to find dion he's like what is your tractor blah 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 whatever <laughs> because of course you know he could build like the perfect device and know exactly what needs to be done by something that was totally new this different force uh, so Barry wants to bring Dion in on her side. Then it cuts to like Ivo Labs. Uh, Mark, the tech stealing bartender dude that Frost fought, he like stole something and Frost sees him. So she's out too. And she's like, you need to turn yourself in. And it's like, what the heck are you wearing? He's wearing like this kind of yellow and black leather jacket with like kind of like a furry collar. And he has no shirt underneath. And Frost somehow has her killer Frost, her Frost outfit. So as they're kind of like talking or something, he keeps like wanting, like, he's like, oh, we should just go get a drink. And you know, she's like, I'm not getting a drink with you. And then he's like, well, then you know, you need to stop staring at my six pack. And so then they're finally going to start. And it's like so cheesy when, you know, they just start running it towards each other. And like right before they hit it, like the scene cuts. It's like, well, okay, what are you going to do? You're just going to like slam into each other. <laughs> Joe has to seal at Star Labs now. And, he, you know, he's like, why would Nora do that to her? And, you know, they don't really have an answer. In the past, Bashir and Alexa like mentally talk to each other. He says that he has an idea to how to stop Nora, and he's like, you know, are you with me? You know, if, when we try to get out of here, and then she like nods her head. So they're gonna try to do this behind Iris's back. Barry finds Dion at like a football stadium, and you know, he's thinking about what it would have been like and everything. And you know, he's like, he says that he wanted them dead, and he's like, I, you know, I wish I could take it back. And Barry's like, well, they're not dead. And he explains, you know, he also says, you know, about how before Deanne says, like, I'm a mistake. I was supposed to happen. He's like, you're not a mistake. He's like, I'm glad you're here now. Deanne's like, well, you should unmake Nora. Like, you know, you tried unmaking me. He's like, I'll help you. He's like, I'll kill her, you know, if if she's or if she starts running again or something like that. And Barry's like, like, no, you know, we'll find another way. And he's like, we 
we ain't doing jack. I am. And he disappears. So he wants to go take out Nora. Joe asks, he's like, well, you know, what if Dion does kill the Speed Force? He's like, you know, whatever. You know, like, it would save lives. But Barry's like, me and Iris brought them. You know, I have to do everything I can to protect them. And Joe's like, well, at least you still can because he's not happy with Cecile being, you know, knocked out or whatever. So he's like blaming Nora for what happened. Uh, then later he's sitting in, in a room alone and Allegra comes in. She's like, oh, we're, you know, we're going to go out to try to, you know, help some people evacuate and stuff like that. She's like, you know, do you want to come with? And he's like, she's like, no, I'm, I'm going to stay here. And, and she's like, you know, I have to say, it's like, you know, you're not a cop anymore. So what are you? She's like, you know, you care and you help others because that's who you are, not just not because of a badge. And, you know, so he's like, I, I can't leave Cecile. So he's just going to stay there. In the past, Alexa finally says she wants the orb. She's like, I'll, I'll keep it safe, you know, because she's like, if, if Nora comes and, you know, we'll need the strength or whatever, she powers up a little bit because Iris is like, no, that's fine. And then she grabs Iris by the neck and, like, lifts her up. And then so finally, you know, Iris, and then she just smashes the orb to the, to the, on the ground and it breaks. She's like, that's the only way. But then Bashir asks, he's like, are you sure about that? And it turns out that Bashir and Alexa are really standing behind her, and now he has the orb. So he, like, spins part of it or whatever, and then they disappear. Cisco and Chester are going over calculations. They still don't have a plan. They just have theories. Barry goes to confront Nora. She's she's like, you didn't bring them. She's like, do you want this world to end? And he's like, no, and neither do you. He's like, you know, you were created by love between, you know, me and Iris. He's like, our humanity is inside you, too. He, and then all of a sudden there's a, there's like a big vibration. She's like, that wasn't me. She's like, it never was. And then she's like, you know, that, that was the strength. And she's like, and neither what happened to Cecile. And when we see that again, there's like, you know, it was like a purple blast of lightning. She's like, I didn't create the storm. She's like, your children did. And that's why they need to die. And Dion's, he's behind her. He's like, you first. And he would blast at her. But then she like blasts too, like at the same time. So it, they, the blasts hit each other. They go flying back. And then Deanne's knocked out. Nora left. So Barry goes back to Star Labs and tells him the truth that it's not Nora doing it all. It's all of them. So they have Dion. I guess they must have gone back and get him because he's in the med lab now. And Barry says that he couldn't stop him like he couldn't stop Nora. He's like, I, you know, I'm not sure what to do anymore. Iris somehow shows up and she's like, they took the orb. And, you know, so now they all believe Nora. And Cisco's like, you know, for weeks we've been experiencing this you know, we're fighting the forces of the universe. So it's a little weird that how, how and why are they causing this storm? And, you know, why? <laughs> how and why and why? <laughs> so Frost and Mark are fighting. Uh, Mark's a, the bartender dude. And he's just so annoying. And his fi fighting with his flips, like twirling flips and stuff like It's like, what is the point of that? It's like, it's so showy that it's not really accomplishing anything. And at one point, like, I think he's even like, like kind of flicks his tongue out or whatever. And finally, she's like, oh, you think you know everything about me, but you don't. And she does this, like, twirly ice blasting, and it knocks him out. So somehow catches him off guard. And she's like, chill out. I was like, really? Okay. So people are panicking in the street. Barry then again, zoom, returns to Star Labs. <laughs> again. <laughs> so we don't see him on the streets. We just see him when he comes back. So Joe lays it out. He's like, you know, what it's like to be a parent. And, you know, he says, you know, when you first became the Flash, I told you not to do it, but you did it. And he's like, you know, he, then he says, like, some of the amazing, amazing stuff that Iris did or whatever. And he says, you know, sometimes it takes a family to protect the family. He's like, you, you've been trying to keep the forces apart, but you should be trying to bring them together. 
So Dion, then he's in there with them. He's like, you know, I couldn't stop her. And Ira says, it's because you were doing it alone. Then Bashir and Alexa come back. And Alexa's like, things are different now, aren't they? She's like, you know, we could feel it. Dion apologized for almost killing them. And Bashir's like, hey, you know, if we survive, we'll forgive you, maybe. Barry's like, well, you know, when we face Nora, we'll do it together. So then they're all in the streets. And Barry's like, you know, we're all connected, whether she likes it or not. And she's like, silly boy, I'll have to kill you too. Zap, they all disappear. Now um, they're like in some weird in-between video game world. Nora shows up too, and they all start glowing. And Nora's like, so, family game night. And it's just like, oh my god. I'm just like throwing up. So Star Labs can't find them. You know, they're, they're gone. They say that the forces are all around them or something like that. And then this is just like, this whole scene was like all CG. It's all computer generated. It's just, just cheesy fighting. And oh, it just, it did not look good. So then when they finally return back, Barry's like, it's not over. And Cisco detects this, uh, like electromagnetic particles are gathering in the area. It's like this big, like tornado cloud, just like swirling or something like that. And he's like, it could be like the big bang in reverse. So they have three minutes before the forces are snapped back and erase everything from existence. So Barry runs and then Nora appears. Now that daddy's gone, there's no one here to protect you. So they do the Bashir fake-out thing, and then they're behind her. Dion stops time, and then he gets in Nora's face, and he, like, looks in her eye. So now she's all alone. She's, like, in the city. There's no one around. It's completely empty. She starts, like, hello, hello. And she's, like, sobbing. And she's, like, this is worse than dying. And she's, like, hello, no, no. And then she's back. She's still sobbing. She's, like, don't let it happen, please. Alexa comes up to her. She's like, it's just one possible future. She's like, but you can choose another where you're not alone, where you're part of a family. Ours. So then she takes Alexa's hand. I was like waiting. It's like, okay, she's going to disintegrate her. But then she's like, can you forgive me? So so here's a person. She killed Alexa like a few episodes ago. Whatever. So then there's 25 seconds before the, the, the big explosion, blowout, reverse snap thing, whatever. Barry's still running. So then the, the four um, different forces, they're just walking, like walking super slow. Nor tells them to concentrate and follow. The storm starts like twirling up or whatever. And uh, then she's like, you know, listen to my thoughts or something like that. And then Barry starts running and collapses. And Nora helps him up. And she's like, you saved me. You saved us all. And she hugs him. Everyone's smiling. It's uh, So then they're back at the, the old house. But now it's all like shiny and new. They all feel good. Barry's like, I even feel faster. And she's like, you are. So she's like, now that they're all together, you know, Nora says that, you know, together they'll expand the place and bring light to the universe. And Alexa's like, you know, I never really had a home and this feels like one. But she was like, well, I never really had a family. And Nora asks Iris, she's like, how can I even apologize? And, you know, she's like, you know, thanks for, like, helping me, like, see my humanity or something like that. And then she's like, today, Barry really was my hero. And then so they look at him, then Barry and Iris zip away. Cecile wakes up. Um, Joe's by her side. And he's like, Caitlin said, you're going to be fine. And, you know, he's she's like, were you here the whole time? He's like, yep. Cisco, then uh, Cisco, Camilla, Allegra, and Chester are sitting and they're it's things get awkward because Camilla and, and Cisco are just like being all lovey dovey and everything like that. And while they're together, like Cisco gets a text saying it's like we need an answer now. And he like he doesn't answer it right away. He's like, Oh, it can wait. 
Caitlin is uh, reading in her apartment. There's a knock on the door. She opens it, and it's Frost. And so Caitlin's happy to see her, but she's like, are you a fugitive now? And Frost's like, well, you know, I beat up and returned a dozen metas. She's like, and it turns out the DA has a heart. You know, saw me on the news saving lives, and, you know, with a, a good word from the Flash, I got time off, and I'm on probation. So Caitlin, then she's looking, she's like, you, you seem different. So Frost finally says, she's like, fine, I have a crush on somebody. And she's like, who? She's like, a bartender. So Barry and Flash, or Barry and Flash, Barry and Iris are sitting at, at their place in front of the fire. And, you know, he says it, it feels weird now that they're gone. He's like, I guess that's what it'll feel like when our, you know, our kids go to college. But I guess, you know, we'd have to actually try. And, you know, he's like, well, you know, it makes you wonder. And she's like, yeah, it does. And then she gets up. It's almost like, yowch, she doesn't even want to, you know, talk about kids or whatever. And he's like, where are you going? And she's like, I'm tired of waiting. Let's start a family. And, <laughs> and then Barry's like, I love that impulse. And he gets up after her. Because we're going to have impulse in the show. So he's got to say, I love that impulse. Oh, let's go start a family. Let's go Let's go have some nookie. Oh, God. Blech. Next episode. So I think I think it's not on next week because I think the next episode is June eighth. So I guess we get a a little breather. I, I don't know. Was it because it's Memorial Day? So it's like no one's gonna be watching TV, supposedly, even though it's the show's on Tuesday, not Monday. But there you go. So we'll get a week off from this. Okay, but then the better show, the show, and I hate to compare it, but it, it, it let's be honest, it is a better show. Superman and Lois, season one, episode seven, Man of Steel. So Clark and uh, zips to the fortress carrying Jordan. He talks to the fortress hologram, his dad, quote unquote dad, and uh, Jonathan's hearing is, is cranking up. He has to learn how to control it back home. That you know after he brings him back, he has to wear noise canceling headphones. And Clark said that his father said that he has to learn to adapt on his own. And so then John's like, oh, so I guess we're gonna have to come up with another excuse as to why he's not in school. So then. Uh, Lana calls Lois. She's like, you know, is there anything I should be looking for? With you know, she works for Morgan Edge, and you know, Lois is like, you know, whatever, you know, just you know, look for some things and you know, invoices or anything. But she's like, you know, I really don't want you to do anything that you know you're not comfortable with. And you know, she's like, oh, if it's you know, good for the city or for the people, whatever. But Lois just doesn't want her to feel unsafe. Clark sees the real Marcus Bridgewater, whatever, and that was the name that Lux Luther used. You know, so they have like a file on a guy, and he's like this old dude. And they're like, you know, why is he lying? And they're like, well, maybe he knows too much about Morgan Edge. Clark says that, you know, maybe they should tell the boys that something's going on. And Lois is like, well, I thought, you know, moving to Smallville was about, you know, getting a normal life. And he's like, I, you know, I think they can handle this. And Lois is like, well, you know, maybe we should know more about this first. And she's like, well, I'm going to go confront Bridgewater. So then, uh, Morgan Edge asks Leslie, his superpowered assistant, whatever, why she hasn't identified the guy in the mines yet. And she's like, he's a ghost. You know, there's like no record of him, whatever. Then Lana shows up at Morgan's office and Morgan wants her to assemble a team or there's a list or something like that. So Clark tries talk, tries getting Jordan to focus on one sound at a time. And he's like, good, it hurts. So he takes off the headphone and he's like overloaded with noise. So there's like a you know drop from the, the kitchen faucet. He's trying to focus on that, I guess. 
they keep showing it, so I'm assuming that's what he was focusing on. There's just so much pain, and he can't take it, so he puts the headphones back on, and he leaves the room. He's like, we should just try tomorrow. So it's like, okay, let's let's try it for like 20 seconds, and then you know that's it. So Lex, quote-unquote Lex, is repairing his ship AI. Lois knocks on the door, so he's in his RV. And, you know, he hears a knock. He doesn't know who it is. He grabs a gun, and he sees it's her, so he, like, sticks it in his pant, like, in, in his back. And she said that, you know, she wants to talk. She wants to meet. because She's like, I'm not going in your RV type of thing. So she's like, let's meet at the diner. And she's like, or else. You know, she's going to say some things. Um, Lex thinks about, uh, he's thinking back to when he was married to his Lois, when he's lying in bed with her, and they, like, smooch. Turns out they have a kid. They have a daughter that, that comes in. Then all of a sudden, there's like this boom outside, and we see Superman like in a black suit, like floating, and the buildings are smoking. He uses heat. There's other floating people too, and he uses like heat vision, just like starts like blowing up like tons of buildings. Jordan is sitting around with headphones, and he uh, looks at a clock on a fireplace mantle. He takes off his headphones. There's lots of noise. He's struggling. He's trying to do it, and he puts the headphones back on. At school. John's at his locker, and Sarah comes out, they talk, and she asks, why wasn't Jordan in school? And he says he's not feeling well. And she, so she's like, well, I know you're lying or whatever. And she's like, I know what happened with Tag. And Jordan's like, or John's like, Jordan didn't have anything to do with that. He's like, did you, know, did you even watch that video? And then John says, well, you know, Tag jumped him the other day, so he's getting bad headaches. And she's like, well, why didn't he tell me? And he's like, you know, he didn't want you to worry. He's like, see, he's not such a bad guy. And he's like, oh, and I broke my wrist. Thanks for asking. And he, like, walks away because, you know, she didn't even say anything about it. So then Lois meets with Marcus, with Lex. And, you know, Clark isn't too keen on her going alone, so they, they meet at the diner. She sits in, you know, he's there. He ordered her tea just the way she likes it. And she's like, look at him. He's like, oh, that's what you ordered last time. So meanwhile, Clark checks out the RV. So as soon as he walks in, the AI is like, welcome back, Captain. How did your conversation with Lois go? Or go with Lois Lane? And then there's a pause. And it's like, Captain Luther? So Superman knows. Marcus talks uh, about, like, Superman taking over, like, with an army and Lois uh, or something like that. Lois, her phone rings. It's Chrissy, the newspaper lady. Uh, Morgan Edge has a shipment going out. You know, could it be kryptonite? And Marcus is like... You know, he's like, I need to talk to Superman. And she's like, maybe when we're on a first name basis. Because, you know, so he's worried about, like, what Superman might do and whatever. The AI then later talks to Lex. There's a problem. There was an intruder. Um, but the AI managed to capture an image. So he looks at it. He's like, oh, that's just Lois's husband. He's not a threat. Lois, or Lana's looking into some files. This lady, a friend of hers, comes up and just asking about this executive program. And Lana seems hesitant to, I don't know if because she knows that there's something bad with the company. But she's like, well, I'll see what I can do. You know, no promises. Clark and Lois talk. And, you know, he's like, could it really be Lex Luthor? And she's like, well, with everything we know about the multiverse, who knows? So they're following the shipment. You know, they're a ways back, and he's using his vision to kind of keep up. And he sees that there are men with guns in the, in the back of, like, the this truck, whatever. But then he looks further ahead. He's like, uh-oh. So Marcus is up the road with his RV blocking the road, and he has, like, this big gun. So, um, and he's, like, you know, getting it all ready. So Clark zips out of the truck. You know, Los is driving, thankfully. He's like, you know, things are going to get ugly if I don't do something. So he, he, he takes the van. 
he zips it away to like the desert, like on top of like a mountain. And then uh, Lex, the 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 truck, the uh, this other truck, whatever, comes up and he tells the driver to get out. He zip ties his hand. Then Lois and Clark pull up in, in their pickup truck. And he like puts throws this device in the back of the truck. It blows it open. Lois like, what are you doing? He's like, the same thing you were doing. She's like, no. He's like, we want to know where they're going. Now we'll never know. And while all this is happening, Leslie is like listening because um, the van guys said like, we have a problem because you know they were like taken over there. John, um, he's at his locker, and this, this other girl starts talking to him, and there's there's some like flirtation stuff going on, and she's like, see you around, you guy, and then Sarah comes out, she's like, no, 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 like she's not your type or whatever, and. He's like, well, how would you know? You know, and she apologizes, and she's like, you know, I'm just really worried about tag, and you know, you're the only ones to know what happened. Then Jordan's sitting in his room. He decides to try again. Um, puts the headphones back on. He can't do it. But then he he sees he looks at a picture of Sarah, so he decides to try it again. And then he hears John and Sarah talking. So probably maybe looking at the picture made him think of trying to zoom, you know, hone in on her. John's like saying, he's like, well, you know, you're different from other people in Smallville. You're more real. And then he says something like, you know, if you ever have anything that you need to share, you know, you can share it. And then Jordan gets mad that they're talking and, you know, trying to get close or whatever. And he like punches a hole in the wall. Leslie, meanwhile, is still listening. Lex says that, you know, they, they need to be ready against Edge. Um, you know, they need Superman. It's the only way to go. So then there's a memory. The daughter wakes him up, and he's like, where's mom? So she's on the news, and, you know, she's reporting. There's, like, a storm going on, and, and Lois is like, you know, they have a weakness. It's a rock from their home planet. It's kryptonite. She's like, find it. And then they watch. as Superman's, like, floating behind her in his black outfit. He zaps her. So they watch Lois die on the news. Then, um... Marcus Lex, he asks Lois, he's like, do you trust Superman? And she's like, with my life. And he's like, it's good to hear. He's like, set up a meeting. And he hands her like the box of kryptonite stuff that was in the back of the, the truck. So Lois is going to meet with Chrissy. You know, is there any connection between their guy and Lex? They know he's military and, you know, maybe they should check with the DOD or whatever. The AI thinks or asks Lex if he thinks that Kal-El will really come. And he's like, yeah. He's like, so we need to be ready. And he's like working on something. So I think he's like building a new suit. And he thinks back to like when he first made the suit with his daughter. So then John comes home and Jordan walks up. He's like, hey, what were you talking to Sarah about earlier? And John's like, were you spying? He's like, we were just talking. He's like, you know, I've been covering for you all day. He was like, I always have your back. He's like, he's just yelling. He's like, so don't ever spy on me again and everything. And it like really hurts like John's ears. And he just like kind of falls to the, to the floor. Lana, meanwhile, is putting up names for this, this team that Morgan wanted. And she found four so far. And he's like, oh, are you holding a spot for someone closer to home? And so they're talking about Kyle. And she's like, well, you know, he's the chief of the fire department. You know, it would be a lot to juggle with the girls and everything. And Morgan's like, well, you know, well it could be done. He's like, you know, just let me know. So Superman meets uh, with Lex at his building warehouse. And, you know, he's like, you know, why, why are we here or whatever? And he's like, you know, we're here to save the world. You know, you've got to eliminate the threat. And he's like, you know, Edge is a threat, but he's not the source of the destruction. And then he's like then who and then uh lex is like i think you know kal-el but he says it in kryptonian so it turns out that there's no one related to lex but there was another name that came up in their search someone named john henry irons so this is 
John Henry Rides. This is Steel. He turns on uh, it's like red solar flares on the, the RV, so it blasts Superman. You know, he's caught in a beam and it's incapacitating him. He's like, "You're not the Man of Steel," and this hammer flies to his hand. He's like, "I am." So then he slams him with his hammer, and it, he he hits him like like an upward swing, and it hits, sends him like flying up in the air, kind of flipping head over feet a bunch of times. He's like, "That looked like it hurt." And he's talking about his hammer. He's like, the further it travels, the more energy it releases. So, you know, as he's talking, he kind of walks, uh, you know, further across the, the big warehouse room. So then he, like, throws the hammer at him, and it just picks up more speed. So Leslie's still listening, and she smiles, and she calls Ed. She's like, Superman's going to be busy for a while. She's like, send a shipment. So, you know, this whole thing with her listening so all the time, I, it's, it's surprising she hasn't accidentally overheard Lois and Clark talking about Clark being Superman or anything like that. I guess there's no reason for her to spy. But you would think that she'd be listening in on Lois to see if there's anything they could use to stop her from snooping in on, on Edge or whatever. So then uh, Jordan hears, and you know he, he falls to the floor, and he tells John, he's like, he's killing Dad. So they end up driving. Um, you know, John's driving, and you know he, he's begging Jordan. He's like, you have to focus so we can find them because they have no idea where, where they're at. Irons uh, tells Superman, he's like, all, you know, all the stuff about you is just propaganda. He's like, you know, he's like, I made a promise to kill you. He raises the hammer. He's about to deliver it. Then the kids drive in, slam right into him. You know, they basically hit the hammer, but he was holding a hammer. So the hammer absorbs most of the blast, but he still goes flying across the room. And so they're like, Dad, you know, whatever. He like mumbles to, to turn off the lights. So then uh, John smashes them with a hammer and Superman's back. His eyes are glowing. He goes over to Irons where he's lying, you know, in like some boxes or whatever. And he's like, he's about to punch him. And Lois calls. She's like, stop. It's like, it's over. And then, you know, because he like even like picked up Irons like he's about to punch him. And he, he just drops him. So Irons is supposed to be dead. I guess he died in, in this world. A soldier asked Superman, he's like, this guy came back from the dead to kill you? And Superman's like, well, you know, it wouldn't be the first time. He's like, you know, we'll probably find out more when General Lane gets back. So I don't know where he's at. I don't know if they said it. So Lana's that friend, um, her her friend Colleen gives her a gift basket. She's like, I got the job. She's like, you know, Morgan Edge called. And I guess, you know, he saw us together and he gave me the job or whatever. And she's like, thanks so much. Because, you know, Lana's like, I didn't do anything. And she's like, oh, no, you did. And she's like, it's going to change my life. Morgan Edge is, meanwhile, looking at the candidates. Leslie says that the kryptonite arrived at the facility, so they're ready for the next move. And did they find a next subject? And... You know, he's like, well, there's no guarantee it'll work. You know, she's the only one for now that was able to gain the powers and be stable. And she's like, well, you have to break a few eggs to make an omelet. And he's like, and now we have our eggs. So the list of names were people to get tested on. So thank goodness it wasn't Kyle. Lois and Clark talk about irons. You know, she feels bad that she didn't catch on, that, you know, who he was from the beginning. You know, she's like, you know, you might have died tonight. And Clark says, well, I got lucky thanks to Jordan's hearing. And she's like, you know, you're right. We can't keep secrets from the boys. And he's like, well, what do you want to tell them? She's like, everything. Jordan goes into John's room. He apologized for spying. He's like, you know, I'm sorry. You know, you have to lie all the time. Uh, He's like, well, you know, I kind of told the truth, but it, it felt worse this time. Jordan's like... You know, tonight was the most scared I've ever been in my life. And John's like, yeah, but it, it was pretty cool. He's like, I don't even have a learner's permit. And Clark comes in, and he's like, yeah. He's like, it was bold. It was reckless. It was irresponsible. But it was necessary. 
He's like, you know, we always told you that, you know, we shouldn't be keeping secrets. So we don't want to keep secrets from you guys. He's like, but what we say absolutely stays in this house. So they're like, okay, who's up? Who has questions? So um, Irons is now he's in a little cell. He thinks back to his daughter and he says, he's like, I found Kal-El. It's time. She's like, but it's not finished yet. And I think they're talking about the suit or whatever. He's like, it has to be now. He's like, my ship will leave in two minutes. It's like, where do you get the ship from? Um, he's like, it's it's our chance. It's our chance to end this. And you know, she doesn't want anything to happen to him. He's like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to kill him. He's like, and then together they they have like this motto or something like that: "Forge and fire, strong as steel." <laughs> what? I don't know. And then uh, the daughter's like, "I love you." He's like, "I love you too, more than anything." And he's like, "I'll be right back. I promise." And then there's a tear in his eyes. He sits in the cell. So John friggin' Irons Steel is trying to kill Superman. Oh man! So I'm I'm okay with this. You know, it, I was all right with Super. I mean, yeah, multiverse Superman. So or multiverse Lex Luthor. So he looks different, different ethnicity, whatever race. I I love the fact that this is Irons and his hammer was pretty cool, and the, the fact you know having a suit makes sense. And so you know, bravo creators of showrunners writers of superman and lois uh, I'm, I'm digging it all right star wars the bad batch season one episode five rampage uh, i like this episode it, it was good um not maybe uh, maybe not as good as last week i mean last week was cool because of fennec fennec shand uh ming na win appearing on her but this there was something about that this was it was it had a nice feel to it. it had a had decent story the pacing was 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 good um omega you know she's not my favorite character but she wasn't that annoying you know of, of course if it wasn't for omega you know the, the the clones wouldn't be able to get out of the mess that they get themselves into fine but i i enjoyed it so uh omega gets her own wrist calm thing you know she's excited about that and it it was crosshairs because you know obviously he doesn't need it anymore and it turns out they're going to ord mantel and I, I, they're like why are we going to ord mantel when you know i thought we we're trying to lay low but echo has a contact there and they're like well you know can we still trust him and they're like well the jedi did and you know did, well, the jedi aren't around anymore so they're gonna go there so they, they go there but it's weird uh they're they're dressed in their armor which you think would is not, again the opposite of laying low. Omega is not in armor, and I guess do they not know? I guess they don't know that Omega is being wasn't Omega the one that Fennec was after, and I don't think they know that. So maybe they think they're the ones that Fennec was after. That doesn't make sense. Maybe whatever. So they go into this like little cantina place, and it turns out Echo doesn't know what Sid looks like because he's only heard of him or whatever. So they, they start asking, they ask, ask like this lady bartender, whatever, and she's like, I never heard of him, whatever. And she's like, get lost. And she's like, unless you're spending money, you know, beat it. And then, you know, so they're trying to figure out, oh, well, what are we going to do? Because, you know, this, this is where Sid's supposed to be. And, and then Omega's like staring. And then she's like, you're Sid. And then the, the alien's like, oh, you're, you know, you're brighter than your, um, your, your colleague, your compatriot. I don't know what she said, then whoever she was with, some word. So there, they said so takes him in the back room, and she, you know, she said she had a good thing with the the Jedi and the Empire change all that. Um, but you know, they start talking some stuff. But she just wants to get down to business. So Echo shows uh, said a holo a Fennec, 
and Sid doesn't recognize her, but she's like, I know a bounty hunter when I see one. She's like, I can help, you know, I can get some information, but it depends on what you can do for me. And she's basically like, you know, pull a job for me and I'll get you information. She's like, that's how the mercenary business works. And Hunter's like, mercenaries? But she's like, yeah, you know. So uh, the job that she wants to do is like a rescue. She's like, there's a nice bounty on a kid named Moochie. So Moochie's been taken by some Zygerian slavers. So she's like, you know, get Moochie, come back here. And we'll split the bounty 70-30 in her favor. So then, uh, you know, as they're, as they're talking, they're trying to figure out what to do. Like, Omega's like, what's a slave trader? And, you know, they have to explain it. You know, so she, she's been, like, just so isolated. You know, she's doesn't even know that about people are being, like, bought and sold. You know, she's, even seen, she's like, that doesn't seem right. They're like, no, it's not. So they, they come up to, like, this ridge, like, kind of like in this canyon. You know, they, they see, you know, a bunch of people on there. So they see, like, one, like, kid alien. So they're like, that must be Moochie. And they're, I think there's, like, two dozen hostiles or whatever. And um, so they're, they're trying to figure out, you know, Hunter tells, like, you go up high, you go, you know, over here or whatever. And then there's, like, some beast, like, that's creeping around them. So they have, like, flying beasts that attack them, and then they end up getting captured. Omega was told to stay in the ship, so she's there with Gonk. And she's like, she's customizing or painting her little clone trooper doll, making it like a, a bad batch or whatever. And then uh, there's people outside or there's voices. So the aliens found a ship and they're checking to see if anyone's on board. So she has to hide. Omega manages to sneak out of the cockpit somehow. So there's like some other escape, which is weird. But then uh, the aliens see there's no one on there. So they return to base and she tries calling the others on a comm, but obviously they can't answer. Because they are cuffed, all their, their you know gear has been taken off. They have like shot collars on. Omega eventually finds them. Tech sees Omega sneaking up above, and Hunter like kind of signals her to, to hide. But she starts making her way, sneaking in, and um, you know she almost gets caught. She she like knocks over some rocks, and it cr- comes crashing down. And they like look or whatever. But then Rucker distracts them as well. So as uh, Omega's getting closer, she comes across like this big cage and there's like some beast in there. She's like looking at, at the door thing and she gets grabbed, but she managed to unlock it somehow. And there's a rancor in, inside, but it, it's an adolescent one. Put two and two together, you know what's coming. So uh, basically they find out, you know, they, they try as they're, the slavers are dealing with the rancor attacking and you know trying to you know all that stuff like that. The the clones get free. They help. There's a there's like uh, three other people that were captured too, and one you know one was the kid alien. I think it was a was it a Pauline, maybe, and uh, they basically find out that the the alien kid isn't Moochie. The rancor is Moochie. So stuff goes on. Um, you you know so they they all get away or get free and then they have to try to get Moochie. Moochie's uh dealing with the slavers and everything and then Moochie ends up like fighting the flying beast and everything like that. Tech tells Wrecker that Rancors follow a hierarchy, so you have to challenge it for authority. So um, Wrecker's like, "Well, I'll handle this," and he, he like tries uh you know getting on top and fighting Rank the Moochie the Rancor in a non harmful way, or whatever. So it comes down to it where they're just kind of like swatting at each other and Rucker's trying to duck. But oh, earlier, like Rucker had like a headache or something. So I'm worried it's, there might be something wrong with him, something coming. Because they're like, like oh, you're, you're kind of losing your touch or something like that. And it, it gets to where they basically tire each other out and Rucker like barely wins. 
Meanwhile, at SIDS, Bib Fortuna and two Gamorrean guards show up, so they're there for Moochie. So is Moochie the rancor that Jabba has that Luke ends up killing? <laughs> if, if so, that's, that's kind of mean. <laughs> kind, of, or kind of sad to think about that. So they, they go back. Sid gives Hunter intel. The bounty hunter... Uh, oh, because like it's weird when Bib Fortuna sees Moochie, he's like, oh, da, 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 da. he's like all cuddling with with Moochie and everything, but whatever. So Sid gives Hunter information. Uh, the bounty hunter is Fennec Shand. She's new, but she's already proving herself to be cunning and ruthless. Um, they, they there's no, it's not known who hired her. Sources say she's working on a direct commission, so it's not like uh, something that's gone out public. And she's like, she says to them, she's like, you're gonna need friends and money. And she's like, it's it's a good thing you met me. And you know, so she gives him his cut of the payment, and says like, there's more where that came from if you're looking for work. And Hunter's like, mm, he's like, I have to think about that. And Sid mentions, she's like, for someone like Fennec to be looking for you, you must be pretty valuable. And then he like turns around and like looks at her, and and says like, oh, don't worry, I'm good with secrets. But is she really? So, because now does she know if she knows that Phoenix after them, she could try to contact and say, hey, what's it worth to you? And hopefully Sid won't do that. Because, I mean, it could be a, a you know good relationship for Sid, you know, if, if they do some work for her and, you know, she takes a cut of what they do. So, we'll see. So, that was uh, the episode. So, like I said, I, I enjoyed it. It was fine. You know, not super spectacular or anything, but it, it was it was enjoyable. And I liked seeing a little rancor. All right, and now Modoc, the second half of the season, episodes 106 to 110. And I just want to say, I'm so happy that we had this show. It was it was everything, pretty much everything that I, I could have wanted. It was just so wacky and zany and just a, even the, the format, the, the, you know, the robot chicken-esque dolls or whatever, all the, ca- so many amazing cameos, so many cameos. It's like... I was just like so surprised by you know some of the like the characters that we had and everything. So uh, oh man, it's just I I don't even know what else to say. Well, I do know what else I'm going to say because I'm going to keep keep talking about it. But it was it was just so great that it was allowed to happen. I don't know how it was allowed to happen because you know it's on Hulu. Obviously, it would not be a fit on Disney Plus because it's not really all age appropriate. And, uh, you know, it's more so with the pro, I guess, you know, there's like sex mention and there's definitely profanity, but it's, it's not something that would work that would fit on, on, uh, Disney plus. And the fact that, you know, we were supposed to get these other Hulu Marvel stuff and, uh, you know, most of them were scrapped. So, so, you know, it kind of made it feel like this was going to happen. So I don't know what happened. I, I'm just thank you if if Kevin Feige let it happen out of the goodness of his heart or I don't know but thanks to whoever so anyways let's continue so episode 106 tales from the great bar mitzvah war so it starts off in Asgard we see Baldar the brave and this was I can't believe they did this he's like talking to a bunch of his soldiers and then we see this portal like up in the sky he's like dropping things and this big like giant aim shredder lands on Baldar's head and kills him. And then it's like, it starts like shredding his head and there's like blood spraying all over the soldiers and like his head's gone. It's, it's just, it's been shredded away. So it turns out that the portal was actually, thanks to Modok, he made a portal to Asgard and Gary, the the one-armed 
aim soldier who uh, Modok zapped his arm off kind of accidentally. He asks, you know, how is this going to help with the the fight against Monica? And Modok's like, it won't. He's like, it just makes him feel better when he messes with Thor. So whenever he's sad, he, he throws like a string cheese wrapper down there. But he's like, but unfortunately, you know, he has to eat the string cheese. I guess he doesn't like it. And, and he like pours some milk down there and everything. So uh, then we see Austin. He comes in and he's, you know, he says that Modoc's been ignoring his emails. And Modoc's like, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, I have a new email. It's Modoc at AustinSucksButts.edu. <laughs> and then Austin's like, why would it be an EDU? <laughs> and Modoc's like, because I just took you to school. <laughs> It's so stupid, but funny. Uh, I hope you're thinking this funny. So Modak isn't responding to his management style, so he's going to have to start delivering his orders via his sweet little puppy Sherlock. And he starts holding Sherlock. He's like, Modak, you need to do this, and everything like that. So he's like basically holding up Sherlock and, and saying that. Modak says that Sherlock is an absolute gentleman, would never say what he just said. or something. And, then, and second off, he's like, look at his little scarf. And third of all, he would never say that. So Austin... He says that, you know, he needs to start, uh, you know, doing what he's supposed to or, you know, he's going to have to demote him. And then he's like, and what's lower than this? So Modak, you know, he just wants to make uh, this like big new mech suit like so he can have thighs and stuff. So it's, we've seen it in comics. Basically, it, his body is like in the head and then he's got like a huge like body. So Jody calls and, and he's nervous. Um, she, you know, she says she needs him. So, you know, he's, he wants to get back together, obviously, and everything like that. So he thinks, you know, this could be a big deal. So she says that uh, Lou released a bunch of doves during the bar, bar mitzvah rehearsal and there's bird poop all over and the rabbi is like ticked off. So he, uh, he apparently has a bunch of weird ideas. You know, he's doing magic. Uh, he wants to dance in his mom heels for her quinceanera. She's like, I never had a quinceanera. He's like, and those aren't my shoes. He wants to let, he wants a, um, a loose hot dog bar. <laughs> he wants grandma to read from his erotic poetry about the green M&M. So he's got like all these things that he wants to happen. So Modoc is at work with Lou. And, you know, then he asks about his magic, even though he hates it. And, you know, he, he dumps all the stuff, you know, he like puts it all up. Then he dumps it all in as, as a guardian garbage can thing. And Lou leans in and he's like, who threw away such a perfectly good portal? And then he falls all the way in. So now Lou is an Asgard. So Modoc, he's like, can there just be one day where this week where I don't have to dive in a garbage can? So it turns out Lou fell into a pond. When Modoc jumps through, he kind of gets bumped by Valkyrie a Valkyrie and he bangs into the rainbow bridge and it hits the ground. So he has a way, you know, rougher, rougher landing. Lou thinks he's like, is this my Narnia? Cause he sees like all this magic stuff and there's like this fairy who wants to come and steal his sneakers and stuff like that. Then these kobold goblins grab him and take him away. So Modak uh, hears like screaming. So he thinks it's Lou. He goes over, but it's really like one of those screaming goats. Uh, and he, then he realized, you know, there's just a couple goats there. He's like, wait a minute. He's like, goats can fly on Asgard. So he hooks up a, a couple of them to like this makeshift like carriage thing. And they're not flying. He's like, of course, you know, I get the only non-flying goats here. And, and then there's like other dangers. Like there's like a giant squirrel. There's a frost giant. There's like a bunch of hunky guys, which are Boldar soldiers. And they're looking for the sorcerer who murdered their general, which was Modok. And, you know, he, they, they say it has this logo and he the Shredder has the AIM logo under. So that Modoc has, he's on the side of his chair thing, whatever, there's like an AIM logo. So like he tries to like rubbing it off and everything. So Modoc finally finds Lou 
and he's doing like a magic act for the goblins. He's like up on this little stage. And when Modok talks to him, Lou doesn't want to leave because he doesn't want to have to hide who he is. And then he ends up telling the goblins to throw Modok out. So Modok decides to get the soldiers to go after the goblins by showing them Lou's aim visitor badge. He's like, here's your sorcerer. So he just wants them to attack the goblins or anything like that. And then, and then, like, while this war is going on, it, it changes to, like, the sepia tone, like, just, like, different, like, photographs and, like, letters from the soldiers, like, telling, you know, writing home, talking about, you know, how things are going in the war and everything. And you get it from both sides. And and then, so finally, the, the goblins want to negotiate peace. So Modak comes in this big, huge tank. He ends up, like, kind of getting flung out of it, and he falls into mud. Everyone laughs at him, and he's like, this is what I didn't want to happen to his son. He doesn't want everyone to laugh just because of his magic. So the, the goblins decide they're going to execute Modok, and it turns out the executioner is really Lou. So he's going to saw him in half, but it's really like the the magic trick, whatever. And there's like lady legs at the other end, and no one really like notices or whatever. So he like he cuts them in half, and then the goblins kind of they all get grossed out and everything like that. So then they're able to to, to leave. So back at home, the rabbi is concerned with Lou's magic. You know, he's supposed to be turning into a man and tricks are for kids. She, she thinks it's a symptom of a bigger problem. And Modak, you know, apparently still has the, the two goats or whatever. So then we see the super adaptoid. So, he, you know, he, he was taken at the, the last episode and he's tied up. Young Modak has him and he says that he has plans for the family, for, for them. Episode 107, This Man, This Makeover. So at Modok's apartment, he calls Adaptoid because he's hungry, but he's like, where is he? And he looks in a fridge. He only has baking soda in there. So he's like, okay. And then he just like pours it in his mouth and he's it's like all like foamy and then he spits it out or something like that. So he has to go out for food and he's all dirty, has like bloodshot eyes and everything like that. And then we see Wonder Man. So cameo by Wonder Man, Nathan Fillon, and he's like, on the street talking to the homeless, or whatever. And he's like, this one is, he's like, I, I don't have a problem against homeless or whatever. And all this, I support them, but this one's actually a, a super villain and, and all this stuff. So he goes to get lasagna and he asks for like a child size party lasagna. And then it turns out Jody's there and she's meeting with Wonder Man. So Wonder Man comes in and he thinks, he's like, is this homeless person bothering you? So he thinks Modoc is homeless. And, and it turns out that Jody and Wonder Man are lovers now. So I was like, wait, how did that happen? So then on the news, there's a new couple, Wonder Joe. Modoc gets mail. He gets an invitation to Wonder Man and Jody's paperback release party. And he's being invited. He's like, I'm being invited to my own house. So he turns on his self-destruct sequence. It goes out, but then he ends up like turning off because he figures, uh, you know, Jody um, still likes him because, you know, it's like, why would she be doing this or whatever? So Modoc, he goes to get help from Melissa. She's at the skating rink. And but she doesn't want to help. So he's like, but I need a makeover. He's like, everything that you don't like, you can get rid of. And then she's like, mall one hour. So she says that, you know, after a while, she's like, okay, you're you look as good as you're gonna get. And you know, now to change his toxic masculinity. But he's like, okay, that's yeah, I gotta get going. So you know, there's more work to to do. But he he takes off and he shows up at the house. So then we it cuts to like one month earlier where Jody's talking to her publicist. And the hardback sales on her book are dipping. She says the solution is a soft cover. And Jody's like, paperback? She's like, no, 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 that's coming out in a month. So she wants to do a soft cover, which I guess is in between a paperback or whatever. At the bookstore, she sees that her book is like on a low shelf. And you know her, her sales are behind this chicken goop for the soul. 
So, so she's gonna she takes on her book and she goes to put it up on one of the higher shelves. And then someone asks her, "Is like, oh, have you read that book? It changed my life." And it's Wonder Man when like civilian clothes. He's like, "I wish I could buy it for every woman I respect, which is all women." And then he wishes that he could meet the author and pick her mind. And he says that you know he realizes that she's off. You know, it comes out. He's like, you know, he realizes that she was the author. He was just trying to flirt, and he asked her for a number or whatever. She's hesitant, but then she writes it on a book and hands it to him or whatever. And as they're, like, making an exchange, a paparazzi, like, in a window takes a picture, and it looks like they're holding hands or whatever. So then a publicist calls and tells Jody that she's dating. She's like, you're dating Wonder Man? Because a picture was printed in a tabloid. Jody doesn't know. She's like, who's Wonder Man? So then uh, we see her walking through a park with Wonder Man. There's lots of paparazzi, and then her book sales start going up. And then they start to dip or whatever. So she's like, okay, she's got to do more about this. So then at the party, Jody sees Modoc um, after his makeover and thinks that he looks great. Then Modoc and Wonder Man start posing for pictures. There's a lot of talking, and then Modoc pr- provokes Wonder Man to fight him, and Jody doesn't really fall for it or whatever. So Melissa, then she's you know she used to think that Dad sucked more than anyone else. Then she met Wonder Man, so she just really doesn't like him. So you know all, all this stuff goes on, whatever. Then back at the apartment. You know, he still doesn't have any food in the fridge. He decides to look at Jody's book, which he was he had a copy like under the fridge to keep it from wobbling. And like one like a first chapter or whatever is like your home is a reflection of your spirit or something like that. So Jody's book is number one. And she knew that if Modoc saw her at the lasagna place that he'd throw a fit. And Wonder Man is upset that she's using him, but so she realizes that, you know, she's kind of like Modoc, but maybe worse or whatever. So now she feels bad. And then we see, you know, Jody's actually being watched by young Modoc. The adaptoid has been posing as her publicist and says that, you know, it all went according to plan. So it's time to enact the second phase, which is to bring in Arcade. He's a specialist of death. I, I really don't like Arcade. I think he's annoying, but I think it's extremely awesome that he's in this or going to be in this. So Modoc's still reading. Um, he, you know, he's reading the book. He cleans up his apartment. He goes to talk to Jody and tell her that she was right, that he really needed to change. And you know, he says that he's still in love with her. He wants it to work out, but that was for him. You know, it was just for his, his reasons. He's like, the right thing to do is to let go. So he hands her the divorce paper and she, she takes the, the papers and she crumples it up and starts kissing him. The doors close and she's like, I missed you so much. So it's like, what is going on? Then uh, episode 108, oh, we're blood thicker than robot juice. We see there's like clothes and uh, and the Modoc chair is on the floor. Modoc's so he's out of his, his big chair thing. He's lying in bed next to Jody, and he looks just kind of kind of weird out of, out of it. And, you know, it turns out Jody isn't regretting last night. The kids come in which is a little awkward, but then they baked him breakfast. They made him sausage and yolks only uh, omelet or whatever. Jody says that she's like, yeah, we're, we're really getting back together. And then we can see that the whole thing, you know, the bedroom scene on a TV set. So it turns out the real Jody, Melissa and Lou are strapped to chairs and they're being forced to watch all this. And in Modoc in the bedroom with, with all these others, because they're, they're robots, basically. He's like, it's almost too good to be true. He's like, but it's really, but it's all happening. So they find out that it's young Modoc from 20 years ago that he's mad because he was supposed to be a world conqueror. And on the screen, we see Modoc is uh, 
you know, he's singing about different kinds of bacon and stuff like that. So he blames the family because he's like, if it wasn't for you, I'd be like an emperor or something like that. The adaptoid comes in and he's like, oh, you're probably wondering why, you know, I, I gave you up your secrets. And they interrupt him when they see the, the room, Roomba, Roomba, like Roomba, whatever, on the screen. They're like, oh, we love him or whatever. And young Modoc hits a switch and then three syringes come out with like poison. So they're getting closer to to Jody, Melissa, and Lou. Lou says that the robots are nothing like them, that, you know, Modak is bound to figure it out. So then on, on the screen we see, you know, Lou says that he's done wanting to do weird magic. Melissa suggests they start a family band. But then, you know, Melissa's like, well, the Roomba can can save us. So she's like, it's on the Wi-Fi, and I'm wearing my Grumble watch. So she has one from the company. So they're, they're in a garage, the Modak and the robot family. They're playing in a band. Lou gets the Roomba to get his marbles, and he writes robots on the floor. And before Modoc can see it, Jody steps in and messes up all the marbles. And it, But the thing is, she slips on one of them, and she falls like flat on her face. When she gets up, her face reveals that she's like a robot. Um, she starts stuttering and asks Modoc, she's like, will you marry, marry me again, whatever. And he's like, He's looking at her. He's like, of course I will. He totally ignores her face. And he tries kissing her, but he keeps getting shocked every time he, he gets close to her. And then next we see her face somehow got repaired. So whether there's self-repairs or she, I don't know. Lou wonders that, you know, maybe he has a superpower and he doesn't know it. And Melissa says that, you know, there's there's a solution. She's She tells mom, she's like, you can seduce young Modoc, whatever. But Jody doesn't want to have to resort to using womanly ways just to solve a problem or whatever. And Melissa brings up how she used Wonder Man and stuff like that. But so while this discussion is going on, Modak's actually still watching them. So he, you know, he's hearing everything they're saying. In the garage, uh, it's made up like a wedding chapel. And Modak starts stuttering. And then his face gets ripped off, revealing that he's a robot. And then he explodes. So they figure that he must be there on, on his way to save them. And then we see that they're, they're free from their chairs. They're finally reunited. And then two more sets of, of the family show up. So Mod, young uh, Modoc and Adaptoid are there with Arcade. So he says that they're in murder world now. Arcade says that they that Modoc has 20 minutes to figure out which are the robots. Otherwise, they're all going to die. And if he figures it out, the four will be allowed to leave. Melissa suggests that they hold hands with the, fa- the two family members that they came in with to narrow it down. But then the floor starts spinning and everyone gets knocked down and, and mi- mixed up. So then uh, to, to make things worse, then there's two more Modocs too. So there's the real ones and then two, two robot copies. Melissa starts fighting herself. Two of them get killed. Um, you, you see like there's like real guts and stuff inside. And she f- finds a computer chip in her. So... Lou throws an axe and it lands on his head, but there's blood and stuff and he falls. But then a chip comes out. So like it, it almost looked like it was really him. Modak asks Jody, when is their wedding anniversary? And she says a date and then he like blows her head up. He's like, you are wrong. But then it turns out she was actually right. But, you know, there, there was a chip in the head or whatever. So Melissa stabs the other two Modoks with swords and they're like kind of shocked because she's like, the, the one who got the got the wedding date wrong has to be the, the real Modoc. So then these big balls come in, and Jody decides to sacrifice herself. You know, she's you know stands in the way or whatever. So then the others come up, and Modoc figures that that's the robot, but then they see the chip in there. 
So there's still two Lou's. Modoc asks how young Modoc will kill them if they don't figure it out. And he says that Arcade has rigged giant pinball flippers. So he's like, so you're going to flip us to death? And he's like, uh... Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So Modok fights Young Modok. It turns out Young Modok has been preparing for this. Jody jumps on Young Modok and splits him in half, thanks to her Pilates, whatever. You know, she's been working out and all this. And she pulls out a, a piece, and Jody asks if she can fix their Modok with it. So with this, like, whatever things. What, I don't know. Then they, they all go out to dinner. There's still two Lou's. The Daptoid comes in. So they, they mentioned that, that he betrayed him, but he's like, why would I do that? Whatever. And he's like, can I get chicken fingers? And Modoc's like, no. And then Adaptoid like squints his eyes and quietly says, like, oh, you'll pay for that. So um, the, the the crazy thing is, you know, they, they killed young Modoc, but it's like, wait, what does that mean for old Modoc? So alternate time, you know, split timeline or something. I don't know. Something happened. Episode 109, What Menace Doth the Mailman Deliver? Modoc visits uh, Melter's grave, and he mentions that he's, he's like, I saw a fat squirrel or whatever, and my family got kidnapped. You know, he's filling him up to date. He's like, and we have two Lou's now. Melter's wife and son are actually trying to visit the grave, too, because it's her anniversary. He's like, stop that crying. He's like, I'm trying to talk here to my friend. And so he's just being a jerk about it. And, uh, you know, Modoc, he's like, I won the foot race here. And she's like, you pushed my son into an open grave. And then, you know, he's trying to figure out what he should do. And there's a lot of, like, clues and stuff going on. But he finally figures out or he gets the idea that he should try something new. So Gary is freaking out at AIM because uh, he lost his mail cart. So Modoc comes in with it. And he's he's like, oh, I'm just doing my job now. And he's handing out, you know, delivering the mail, being all, you know, calm and everything about it. Monica shoves Gary out of the way. And Modoc gives her a package. But then she, she like, does, like, roundhouse kick, kicks it in the air and blows it up. And Modoc gives Austin a package or whatever. Austin goes into an elevator, and Hexus, the board, is in there. Apparently, this grumble ball was is going to be in all homes, so they want him to speed up to production, and they want him to get rid of his dog too, because they're they're like there shouldn't be any like a, emotional attachments or whatever you know when they do this new world order thing. So Austin is in a meeting with Monica and other AIM dudes. And he's about to tell him about the board, but then a camera turns on him. So he asks Monica about a glitch with the the grumble ball sphere thing. And she says that she fixed it. So she's like, you know, ask about the weather somewhere or whatever. And then they ask, like, hey, grumble or uh, how do you do or something like that. It's like, how's the weather? And I forget where. And then uh, two guys get zapped and they're, they're dead. She's like, oh, it's down from 10. So she's like, oh, it's, it's an improvement because I guess before 10 people were getting killed. Modoc's, you know, he's just like, oh, I can fix it. And Austin hands it to him. So Gary finds uh, Modoc's locket. And it, it's like you open up and there's like this holographic, like his plans for the future, like this city, like when he rules everything. But he thinks something's wrong. Uh, then Gary's, I thought, actually, I thought it was his boyfriend, but it's his husband arrives because he wants to go hunting. And I love how they just like nonchalantly just like, oh, Gary has a husband. You know, they, they don't even, it's like not a big deal. So uh, he wants to go hunting, but he has a, a picture of Gary in his locket. But then he didn't want to talk about it. But then he's like, what's in Gary's locket? It's a picture of Modoc's locket. So things don't go so well between Gary and his husband. And, you know, he says that he has to figure this out. So he sees, uh, he sees Austin outside trying to get his dog Sherlock to leave so it can like survive or whatever. But then Monica thinks that Modoc is planning her demise. And, you know, he's, just sitting in, in, in like his room. He's eating soup 
and Austin wants to make sure, you know, everyone's like spying on him. So Monica's like spying on him. Gary's like spying. You know, Austin wants to make sure that Modoc doesn't fail. So Monica's now she's trying to hide from Modoc and her, you know, her daughter comes in and, you know, she talks to her and Monica mentions something. She's like, Oh, you're just like your father. And her daughter's like, but you clone me from a male version of yourself so you can inseminate yourself. And, and she's worried that her daughter is really Modoc, whatever, because, you know, she wants to examine her. You know, she's like does like a spinal tap on her or whatever. So and, and, and her father is like in this floating tube thing, like chamber. And the, the father's called Manica instead of Monica. Gary's working out um, because he says Gary needs him. So he's like he still has his helmet, his mask on, but his shirt's off and he's like pretty ripped and everything. And he only has one arm. Uh, Austin checks on Modoc, and he's trying to stop him from working on, on the Grome, is I guess what they're calling it, instead of a dome, whatever. Austin, he's he wants him, he's trying to get Modoc to go outside so he can talk to him because so the cameras can't hear him. But Modoc, he won't do it. He's like he's just focused on working. Austin, then he has to talk to the board. Uh, they had a change of heart about his dog that his dog doesn't have to die during the invasion; it has to die now. So they're, they're changing things. Modoc grabs Gary and forces him into Monica's office. Austin was in there and had to hide in their, uh, in like this fusion chamber thing. So Monica grabs Gary and forces him into her office. And uh, But um, Austin was in there and he had to hide in like this fusion chamber thing. So Gary's like, like strapped to this thing. But then I guess he chewed his own hand off or something like that. Austin ends up getting blasted by the battle or herbs and he turns into this like mutated fused dog creature. So, cause he was in the chamber with, with his dog Sherlock. So then Iron Man is told that Avengers tower is under attack. So Armadillo, Angart, all the others, you know, are, are there. Modoc shows up to talk to him. So then there's a, a meeting. Monica's freaking. She has like this invisible battle suit on. She, cause she's like, just, she's like on, on so unnerved because she thinks Modoc is going to come get her. Modoc finally does come in with a groan and it talks without killing. And he's like, I also got a brand ambassador. He's like my wife's ex-boyfriend, Wonder Man. And then he's like, I also sold AIM. I sold my shares of AIM. So then Iron Man's like outside the window knocking on the windows. Modoc's like, it, they don't come down. You have to go around. And, Mo, and Iron Man keeps, he's like, what? what? I can't hear you. Open the window. And she's like, I'll go around. So it's like this big awkward thing. So then they're, they're, he, he's told, he's like, you don't have an, uh, enough shares for Iron Man to control aim but modok's like he will once monica sells her and they're like why would she do that and he gives her his like piece of paper and then she's like okay i'll sell so he is going to make a, a lot of money on the grown he um iron man decides to fire modok and monica and then he injects or she injects austin with something and says you know she says something like leave the science to the scientists and then austin and sherlock split back they go back to normal so we see outside the paper that Modoc gave Monica was a business card. It says AIM2, but with hyphens. He because so he's like, I use dashes instead of periods. And he's like, my lawyer said it was dubious, but you know, so I should maybe be careful. And he's like, you know, we should just get back to science. And he says that she'll be the scientist supreme. And then Monica's like, wait, then what's your title? He pulls out like a bigger business card and there's like even like little crowns in front of his name and like in the front and behind. And it says scientist supreme. Er, and there's like a red R at, at the end. So Gary runs out and he's like, he's like, you can't let the, the board release Grom. And then he gets hit by a pickup truck and it's Gary. He's like, I did it. I saved Modoc. Modoc's like, you just killed Austin. He's like, you're a sick, twisted psycho who was obsessed with me. You'll be a perfect fit in my new company. 
And Gary asks, he's like, well, can I have the weekend to fix things with my, my husband? And Modoc's like, no, he's like, because we start tomorrow. He's like, oh, but by the way, I won't be in the office for like a month. So Monica and Modoc, then we see them like trying to put furniture together. Big Mike, uh, Gary's husband, comes in with all these burgers and Modoc eats a bunch. Monica asks, he's like, you know, why'd you sell your company to your mortal enemy? And Modoc turns on a TV and we see like Iron Man, Wonder Man doing an infomercial for the Grome. And Iron Man asks, he's like, hey, Grome, he's like, who's who's better looking, me or Wonder Man? And the Grome chime says, Thor is, or something like that. And then he's like, just wait. There's this beep, and then birds, rats, snake, and stuff, like, start attacking him. So Modoc tells Monica that he's like, it just took two minutes to fix a Grome, but, but two days to calibrate a single wavelength that drives all animals bonkers. And we see, like, there's even, like, a horse attacking him and all this stuff. So then at AIM, the board is interviewing this lady. Her name is Janice. They ask what is her biggest weakness. And she's like, well, I, I think that I, I work too hard or I care too much. And they decide to make her their CEO. So they're going to continue to try to take over. And now they want to destroy MODOK. So then the final episode, episode 110, Days of Future MODOKs. And it was so weird. It's like because like with the ninth episode, that kind of wraps everything up. It's like, but there's still one more episode. How can that, that they've resolved everything. So it starts uh, at, at the temple. It's a bar mitzvah. Lou is um, doing this reading and he's like, you know, it, it doesn't feel right. Something is missing or maybe someone. And then Lou too is like, Oh, I don't know. How about me? Or should I say you? So the both, both or both Lou's are there. So Lou and the robot Lou are there. So uh, Jody tells Modak that she saw something cute last night. The loser practicing their slow dance for the reception. And Modak's like, oh, it's going to be kind of weird with no one there because apparently Lou wanted an intimate reception. She's like, no, he didn't want it. He wanted an Entman reception. He only wanted Entman products there. So she's like, you have to do something. You, have, you know, whatever. So Modak goes to Melissa. He says he needs her help. But then he sees her. She's like recording the bar mitzvah on the phone. He's like, what the hell? He's like, I gave you $800 to buy a camera. And she's like, yeah, and I use it to buy a new Stark phone. And then he like looks at the screen and everyone has like googly eyes. So he's like, oh, I take it back. Money well spent. And she's like, there's even a filter that makes everyone look like puppets. And then she turns the camera around on Modak. And he has Patton Oswalt's face. And he's like, utterly macabre. And then uh, she, he, he's like, well, we, you know, we need teens for the reception. So Melissa decides, you know, where do you find teens? You go to the mall. And, you know, she's like tells everyone that, you know, she's a big time casting director for this new show called That's So Torah. And it films today. So Modoc, he, he comes in and he wants it to be like Night Court. And the kid's like, what's Night Court? And so he tries like showing a video, but then she like takes it out, whatever. So one kid's like, it can't be a show if there's no auditions. So they have to do auditions. Things don't go well because uh, like there's this one girl who, you know, they're reading their lines and stuff like that. And one does really good. So Modoc's like, you're it. That's it. You're the one. It's like everyone else. You're out of here. And But Melissa's like, we need more kids. And so they, they're kind of disagreeing on things again. So Modoc decides to bring people and he's going to bring the villains from the bar he also brings in the, the party aliens and the the gigolos the the jello whatever human things and uh also the, the as guarding those goblins so you can see lou's not really happy and when uh, modok and and jody go up to him that he's like, you know, you've been talking to everyone all night except for me. And he's like, I just want to dance. And Jody thinks she's like, oh, you, you want to dance with me? He's like, no, I want to dance with dad. And she's like, oh, I just carried you in my womb for nine months or whatever. And so Melissa's uh, super bummed and because, uh, you know, 
her dad never notices anything she does. But then um, Whirlwind comes in. Is it Whirlwind? He's a the armored dude with the buzz saws, Iron Man villain. I think it's Whirlwind. Like that's what I have in my head. Anyways, he comes in. And he he comments on her ice skating or something like that, and she slams his head against the table. She's like, "Are you one of those like ice pervs?" She's like, "Are you stalking me?" And he's like, "I wouldn't stalk a fly, except I, I did get busted for stalking Wasp, and and She Hulk, and there's someone else, and even like She Thing." He's like, "That's it." Oh, and also Storm, but he's like, he's like, "No, you're just like your dad showed us videos at the bar." And you know he's like Modox, right? He's like you really are a great skater. So she didn't realize that that you know he's been doing this. Modox tries talking to Luz about how hard things have been. Then uh, they notice that Carmilla is there, Monica's daughter, and they ask, she's like, "Can we finish this dance later?" Because you know Modox just kind of like standing there or like dancing or whatever. And then uh, so Jody comes in to to finish the dance, and she's like, "You know where where were we? Whatever, and uh, or you know where, where are they at now?" And she's like, well, I saw you have sex with a robot, like, a lot, <laughs> a lot of times. And I also saw you s- sneak eat cold cuts during that sex. And she's like, you know, maybe, or he's like, you know, maybe we could just keep things the way they are now. And she's like, is that what you really want? And he's like, no, because you're not really happy. She's like, well, you know, the dinner we had the other night was nice. You know, maybe we can have more of that. So then, uh, the problem, the party aliens, because they were there, but they were, like, all tied up. But now they're free, because apparently Adaptoid let them free if they complimented him. So Modoc tells everyone to run, but then this giant foot stomps on them. So it's young Modoc. He built a giant exosuit. And uh, apparently uh, it was a robot that, that died earlier, whatever, the, the, in the other episode where he got split. And he grabs Modoc. He uh, Modoc's like he has a bunch, a couple tentacles come out, and he just like rips those off and like tosses him aside. So he's about to stomp on the family, but then Modoc charges at them, and you know he he gets swatted aside. Young Modoc fires missiles at the family, and then Modoc shoots another blast. And so young Modoc had uh, like the time crystals or whatever like stuck in his like shards of it stuck in his cheek. So he destroys one of them, and then everything like time it all just stops so he's like young modak's like you know i'm not your enemy he's like i just wanted to give you everything you wanted he's like you know let me show you so then we see them like in this alternate timeline um you know modak doesn't remember it because it was erased and because he has the crystals in his head he became unstuck in time so he's like i'm no longer modak i'm the anomaly he's like and i want you to call me that and Modoc's like, he's like, nah, I don't know about that. And the crystals also sent him to alternate futures, and he got to witness them. So he's like, so we see like a bunch of flashbacks. Each ended with failure, and you know, we see him die over and over again by different Avengers. And and he's like, he's like, oh man, even Hawkeye got <laughs> you killed me. So to make fun of Hawkeye. And then uh, the weird turkey man. There's like this turkey guy that's like always sitting around. He um he kills him too. Then we see the flashback, like from the first episode when he was a little kid with his mom, and you know, he, he, young Modoc or an anomaly says that there's one possible future out of a million where he succeeds, and young Modoc thought that it was his family that caused him to keep failing, but then he's like, I was wrong. It was, you know, the your love for them that made all this possible. He's like, they make it all possible by dying. Their death gives him the edge to beat everyone. So Modoc's like, you can't do that. And young Modoc's like, I know, but I can. That's why I'm here. And then uh, 
Modoc closes his eyes and there's tears and then there's explosions behind his back. So then it cuts to him sitting in his throne and you know he gets up. The throne is actually like Iron Man's armor or whatever. You see Mjolnir and Cap's shield on the wall and uh, then he's like, fire up the machine. And he, so young Modoc is there fastened to this like thing on the wall. Young Modoc's like, it won't work. He's like, you can't have it all. And then this portal opens and uh, the last remaining crystal like lights up on, on young Modoc's cheek and he sees his kids you know there, there's like a couple you know different scenes that we see whatever like that but then young Modoc's dead and uh the, there's a aim worker's like there's no way to go back in time with him dead and Modoc's like I'll find a way he's like Modoc will have it all and that's where the season ends so it was good uh but like my my bummer my disappointment is now it's all over I would much rather have this lasted 10 weeks, getting one episode a week. I'll admit the you know, Thursday night, I watched five of them in a row. You know, I mentioned that last week, and it was great. And then you know, I watched the rest uh, on Saturday. And, but it's, it's just – and I know he's like, yeah, I can go back and rewatch it. Sure, yeah, I can do that. But it's not, not the same. And I, I'm sure I will watch it again. Definitely I'm going to watch it again sooner rather than later. So – so it was good. I really enjoyed it. So hopefully you watched it too. Okay, and now Army of the Dead. So yeah, originally this was going to be a feature last week, but as I mentioned, you know Thursday night I'm just like you know, sitting around. It's like I have nothing to watch, and then oh, Modax on, and I was going to talk about. I totally messed up the the time. I thought I somehow thought there was an extra week in a month because I mapped it out. You know, try to figure out like what's going to be the feature each week, and I thought that there was a week like this week, where there wasn't anything new coming out. So originally I was going to do uh, Army of the Dead last week, and I was like, okay, this week I'll have time to watch all of MODOK. That'll be the feature. There won't be anything new. It'll be a week behind, but I'll talk about the entire season of MODOK. But then since MODOK came out early, I was like, well, I'll just watch. I'll just talk about the half of it this this week, and then next week I'll do Army of the Dead and everything like that. Because, well, anyways, it turns out, wait, Quiet Place 2? I don't know what I was thinking. What, anyways, so the sub, the first feature, the sub feature, whatever, is Army of the Dead, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead on Netflix. I have to say, I didn't love it. Um, I I think his the other zombie movie was, was better, Dawn of the Dead. Was that what it was? Yeah, you know, I I feel like that was a a much more. I mean, there there's more of a story and everything to. So with with Army of the Dead, let's see what what can I say about it? Because I I feel like now it's been you know over a week that it's been out, but it's a two and a half hour movie, and I'm I'm you know sometimes when you have movies that are like it's great if it's a good movie you know you want it to last. This movie it felt like it didn't need to be two and a half hours. It took it was like almost like close to a half hour before anything really happens. You know, there, there's some stuff at the beginning, but then we start seeing, you know, the, so the idea is, you know, there's, there's this zombie situation and some dudes want uh, Dave Batista to form a team to go in there and get a bunch of money into one of the vaults and one of the casinos. So with this first 30 minutes, there's a lot of like the formation of the team. They, I, I get, I, I can appreciate that. You know, who are these characters? What are their skill sets? You know, how do we go about doing this? And what's the plan and everything like that? But even all that 
like said and done when stuff was happening to characters because obviously characters they're not all going to survive when stuff was happening to them i was like eh, whatever i it, it didn't have an impact on me i didn't really care but with dawn of the dead from what i remember it was like a, a bigger deal because I, I don't know maybe because it was a smaller group and you know you, we saw them more and so i i don't know um, let me just run through a bit of it, and then I'll talk about some other stuff. Uh, so the, the the movie starts out. We see these soldiers driving on the road. You know, they're they're getting t- together, just like trans. They're going to be transporting something. There's also this couple who got married. Um, I don't know if they're coming out of Vegas. I mean, you assume they're coming out of Vegas if they just got married. So the two soldiers in the the lead car in front of the the car with the whatever they're transporting. They're talking about what they could have. They don't know what's in it. And um, at the same time, the lady, the, the new bride, she decides to perform on the, the, the husband while he's driving. So he's going to be distracted and everything like that. So the soldiers are talking about what they might be hauling and everything like that. You know, is it like aliens or this or that? Or And then uh, the guy, the new husband, starts coasting into their lane, smashes, you know, they see it last minute. They swerve out of the way. And it smashes into the, the truck with the this big container, and it goes up in flames. It's like this huge explosion. The cargo container flies off, and uh, as as they all get out, soldiers like approach the container while this other dude calls it in. There, this door like opens up on the container, and when the, the person on the radio tells him, he's like, "Get your men out of there right now!" and He's like, get him away from that location. But there's a soldier still approaching it, whatever. And then you see a hand come out. Then this zombie dude comes out. And he, like, runs up, chomps the dude. And he attacks the other soldiers. He's, like, he's pretty fast and everything like that. Two soldiers, you know, that were, I think, might have been the two from the, the first car. If they were paying attention, they might have seen this a little, a little sooner. But they, like, run over this little, little hill. And they can hear growling. They're like, is it hunting us? But then they're like, oh, no, it's, it's getting further away. So then they're they're like walking, and one guy trips, and he like shoots his rifle, and then the zombie attacks. And he he actually like rips off the guy's lower jaw, and then uh, he you know he they shoot him a bunch of times, doesn't do anything. He grabs the other guy and he like chomps his neck. Then he like walks away, and like pretty much like right away, the dead soldier like opens his eyes, and you know the eyes are like like yellow as she sits up. And then the main zombie he like looks over the hill, and we see Las Vegas there. Then we kind of get the like opening credits, and I don't know if it was like I don't know if it was supposed to be the real Liberace or like a Liberace. Is Liberace still alive? I don't know. I could look it up. I'm not going to look it up. But then you see like topless dancer zombies attack a dude, and you know stuff like that is like is that really necessary? Whatever. And then uh, um, they they like kill some dude in the hot tub, and just like all this like craziness. It, there you see casinos. All these zombies make their ways in out in the streets you know, cops, and it's all very Zack Snyder stylized, you know, there, there's music playing, and, you know, people just, you slow motion, mixed in with regular action, cops are trying to shoot zombies, and, um, and then you see, like, the main zombies there, also, like, in the heart of everything, zombies even make their way to the suburbs of, of Las Vegas, we see, like, various rescue and fights, and <laughs> at one point, like, these soldiers, like, parachute in, which seemed kind of dumb, they, they, fly they land right into front of a horde of zombies they're like shooting as they land but then they get overwhelmed and we see a lot of like 
soldier or people taking pictures of themselves with like a photo of their family, maybe like their dead loved ones. I, I wasn't really sure. Maybe that's something you do. I'm just oblivious and no, no idea what's going on. And again, slow motion scene, lots of slow motion, of course. So what they end up deciding to do, they they're like putting all these like uh, the the cargo transport things, and they build this like huge wall of containers around Las Vegas to contain all the zombies because they're like we can't stop them all, but I guess this is their solution. So then we see Scott Ward, which is Dave Batista. So he was a soldier. We saw him in like the opening scenes and doing stuff. Now he's a cook at a diner. So I'm not really sure how this transition happened. This businessman comes unto him. He says that there's $200 million in a basement vault. It's untaxable, untraceable. And he wants him to assemble a team to get it out. And if he's able to do it, he gets $50 million. So they're, they're like, here, we'll give you the, the blueprints. You know, they're, they're like, we'll give this to you on, on in good faith. He's like, you know, just, just think about it. So here's the thing. When I first saw the trailer, I was like, why is there a heist during a zombie apocalypse? But this makes a little more sense. So the zombie apocalypse is just contained to this to Las Vegas, basically. You know, it's walled off part of Las Vegas. Okay, that makes a little more sense. Then we see there's like a bunch of tents outside of Vegas. There's the, all these displaced survivors and stuff like that. And, you know, people, everyone's have to get their temperatures taken. Like there's this annoying like security dude that, you know, he's high, high in power and stuff like that because he could, you know, he could make someone disappear by saying their their temperature dropped a degree or whatever because there's like these two women talking and like one who ends up being Dave Bautista's, uh, Scott Ward's daughter, you know, she kind of like snaps at him or something like that because this guy's annoying and the other one's like, what are you doing? He's like, he could, you know, easily get get rid of you and stuff like that. So then uh, Scott sees, we see a flashback where his he sees his wife get turned into a zombie and, you know, he has a gun, but he like drops his gun. He's like crying. He's like trying to hold her back. And she's just like, snog, like go, going after him. So then he has to like take a knife and he just like has to stab her in, in the head. And he, there's like scream. And then a the daughter comes out just as the mom dies. So she sees this too. And then he like wakes up from the nightmare. So this, after this happened, there was like this falling out between him and his daughter, apparently. So Scott, um, Dave Batista doesn't like Mr. Tanaka, the, the business guy, but he decides he has to do the job. And then he's wondering um, what, what when he, he says that he'll do it. There's like some some high like government soldier dudes that are with with Tanaka. So I was just like, what's up with that? So Scott starts assembling his team. He talks to this lady Maria and then this other dude Vanderho or whatever. Then um, some others, whatever. And um uh, Marianne Peters, so the interesting thing about her, she actually, if you've heard the story, I'm not going to go into it all, but there was someone else who was in a movie but had all these like uh, scummy um, charges, uh, like stalking, grooming, I think, charges against him, like with underage people, and he's denied it and stuff like that. So is it true? Is it not? What's the evidence say? This and that. So basically they decided to remove him from the movie, but they had already filmed pretty much the whole thing. So the story goes that they spent like a few million to digitally erase him. They shot new scenes with um, I forgot the the lady's name, and um, you know they just had to like incorporate it all in there, whatever. And you can't really notice so much whether it's it's uh, just the luck of the draw, but a lot of her scenes because she's a helicopter pilot, and you know so she spends more time on her own with versus not with the others. 
so but right away you know before she even hears what it is she's like i'll do it for two million dollars and you know she doesn't even ask what it's about and um then they they get this other guy mickey gomez who his he's posted like youtube videos of killing zombies whatever and uh maria's like you know this he has reddit forums dedicated to him or whatever and so scott talks and he's like you want to make 500 grand so it's interesting that uh marion peters asked for two million he offers this guy 500 grand and then they go to this other guy who's like a safe cracker or whatever. He offers them 250 grand. So he's like, you have to hope that everyone doesn't talk about how much they're making. So then the team meets with Tanaka. They'll have a 32-hour window. And um, because they're, they're planning to, the government's going to drop a, a nuke onto the city. So they, they have to get them out. One guy, he's like, forget it. He like backs out, whatever. And Tanaka says that his head of security is going to go with them. I forget this dude's name, but he, he was in a Mindy Project, and he was in a he was in something else. But anyways, if you watch the movie, you you know who I'm talking about. So then Scott goes to talk to his daughter, so she's working like at the the, the tents with the, the survivors or whatever. She doesn't really want to talk to him, but he's like, "I need you to do one thing for me, and then I can give you fifteen million dollars." And she's like, "You don't have fifteen million dollars." So she's a volunteer at the camp, and she can get them into a quarantine zone. So she comes, because uh, he's like, you know, he, he ex- explains some of it, doesn't really give her all the details. But he's like, you can do whatever you want with the money. You can help all these people and, and everything like that. So she comes the next day with like this kind of like school bus, whatever, from the camp. And then it turns out she wants to go into Vegas too because this lady, this mother went into the camp and she didn't come back and she has two kids. So it's like, okay, she's going to risk her life for, for this random lady. Then uh, um, the, this lady who gets people in and out of the border, you know, secretly, whatever, they, they call her a coyote or something like that. And she's like, we need one more person. So she wants to bring in that annoying guy, the security dude. So they go in there and like right away you see like a zombie tiger. So it was from, I guess it was from Siegfried and Roy. I don't know when this was. But then, so my question, I, this is something I, I wondered before, like back when The Walking Dead, like the comics was in the heyday. I was like, how come we don't see a lot of zombie animals? You know, like in Walking Dead in the comic, I think this was before the show even, you know, you don't really see zombie birds or zombie deer or anything like that. And, you know, I guess the idea is because of the genetic difference between humans and, and creatures that the, whatever the virus or that causes is different. But my question is then, if they're... People are turning to zombies by getting getting bit. Who the heck bit a tiger? I guess if, if there's a zombie, if there's a horde of zombies and, you know, they, they're hungry, maybe they would chomp on a tiger. But and it, it's just the thing. It, I, I feel like it's just for the visual sake of it. Because, you know, we, we see the tiger a few times, you know, a couple times and one time, like, really in action. So I think it's just for the sake of let's have this zombie tiger because it'll look cool. So you have all that. But then, um, yeah, so it kind of goes from there. And and now where things are a little different, so this, this coyote lady, she shoots the annoying guy right away. And she tells him, she's like, we need an offering. And she and she's like, it doesn't matter. He's a rapist anyways. You know, he's a scumbag. And there are zombies in there that aren't like the others. They're smarter. So the main dude, main zombie, has like some other with him. So the idea is here's a sacrifice, here's our offering, and we're going to go in and do our little things and you're going to leave us alone. 
And then, um, so they go in there, you know, there's a bunch of chaos and stuff like that happen. But at one point they find like other blueprints inside. So apparently Tanaka had other teams that, that go in there. And then the security dude, there's, there's something up with him too. There's a reason he's there. But as I, so I won't go into the rest of the movie, but as I'm watching this, I was kind of bored a little bit. I was actually doing a little bit of drawing on, on my iPad. And, you know, as, as I mentioned, I didn't really care when people died. It's like, not that I'm like cold and heartless, but I was like, I didn't really have an attachment to these characters. They, I didn't, you know, they weren't really super likable or anything like that. And, you know, then you wonder, it's like, well, okay, there's obviously something is going to happen. This plan isn't exactly what it seems. And, you know, at one point, Dave Bautista's, you know, Scott Ward's daughter goes off on her own. And it's like, okay, you're witnessing all this horrible stuff that's going on here. Why would she think that she has any sort of hope in surviving on her own to find some lady that she's not even sure is alive? And, you know, she's seen how, like, bananas the place is. And then, um, then one thing, one thing apart from all this, there's a couple things at the end that really bother me. Like, there's one point where there's a close-up shot of like shooting a zombie in the head. Like, I won't say anything, whatever, who does it or what. But it's like towards the end, and it's a slow motion shot, and then the the bullet kind of causes the head to split in half or whatever, and it just seemed like it was overkill. And I meant like overkill is in. The, the way it happened, not because you know you shoot in the head. I mean, what kind of bullet was it? Was this like it's some explosive round? Because it would just like go through, but then somehow it just cause. And oh, there's also this this vehicle crash at the end, and there's this one character that we see doesn't have like a single injury, and it's just like, okay, I need to calm down because I'm I'm starting to get ang- angry about this. So it was fine, uh, and it, it does uh, leave things, obviously, for uh, a sequel. You know, there is a nuke dropped, but, of course, things don't go according to plan, so, you know, there's going to be more happen Because I guess there's a prequel coming out, and there's a anime, or, you know, Netflix likes to do the, the anime tie-ins like they did with, with um, was it Altered Carbon? Is that the name of that show now? I'm totally forgetting. So it was a fine movie. Uh, better than, you know, there's been some bad zombie movies, so this one wasn't bad. Having the the main, the first zombie, I'm kind of, I'm wondering, it's like, what was the deal with it? Why did the government have, is this some sort of government experiment? What, you know, and I guess that's what the prequel movie will, will deal with that and tell us. So I'm a little annoyed that we don't know right away, that we don't, it's just like, there's a zombie there, okay, the, the, it's going to get loose from the army transport, okay, that's what makes the story go. And I guess the other thing is, like, how long did it take for all this this craziness to go down? Because, you know, we, we don't really have a sense of time unless I was oblivious if there's any clues or hints about it. But, yeah, so I, I think it, if it was, like, two hours, it could have been, you know, it could have been good. I just felt like the two and a half, maybe even less than two hours, you know, I, I just feel like that there is just it was it was a bit much and slow and uh, again I didn't hate it I just I didn't love it so there you go if you liked it again that's that's great I'm, I'm I hope you were entertained if you watched it and everything like that but I don't know and you know maybe I should have been paying full attention the whole time but I was just like I was like okay 
yeah, there's going to be a fight here and this is going on. And, you know, there's some cool parts. And I, I'm not like totally anti slow motion. Also, you know, there's some it looks cool. It's just it's so overdone. And I know that's like Zack Snyder's trademark. That's that's what he does. But it's just when it happens all the time over and over and over. It's just it's it's a bit much. But it, it was a fine movie. Okay, now, shh, it's time. <laughs> We're going to talk about A Quiet Place too. So I'm going to do this whole segment whispering like this. And that would be very annoying, probably. So A Quiet Place too. Yeah, saw it in the theater. And as much as I hate to say it, you know, I, I, saw, the, I saw the little clip, John Krasinski saying, it's going to be released in theater. This is the way it should be seen. And I, it, that sounds like a cheesy, like, Hey, go to the theater, you know, support the, the movie at the box office so we can make our budget back and hopefully make a profit and so forth. Totally understandable. But at the same time, I have to agree with it, that it is so much better. Cause I was thinking back when I saw the first one and it, you know, when you're sitting in that quiet theater and, and you're having popcorn, it's just like, you're chomping it very quiet because you're so aware of and and that's what both of these movies do they do a great job with the sound and with the silence and and it's it really gets and and there's there's a couple moments where it it's total scare tactics but that's what you want you know that i'm totally fine with it i mean and there there's like a couple times where you actually see something coming like you know a split second before but then the noise and that like will startle you so it was a there was something that that whole experience so i i strongly recommend it this is the second time that i've gone to the theater in this year since over a year uh the first movie was was spiral that i talked about a couple weeks ago and uh the, the funny thing about this movie or not really funny but this was the last movie ticket that i bought last year so you know i was gonna go see it and then it they're like yeah we have to shut down the theater so i I got a refund thankfully it's just so weird to think about it and leading up to it i I was a little kind of bummed not necessarily like the movie but i'm like yeah i was supposed to see this a year ago and then it's like oh the movie's coming out now so i was like okay whatever you know this movie's been sitting in it hasn't been sitting in a theater for a year. Man, maybe it, I doubt it. No, there's no way it would have. They would have like, hey, send this back to us. Then I saw the reviews. It's like Rotten Tomatoes, ninety four percent or whatever. I was like, really? And I watched it, and yeah, I liked it. You know, of, of course, there's a couple parts that you kind of question, but overall, I think they did a, a great job. And after seeing the first one, you know, because I really enjoyed the first one. I was, I was kind of like, I don't think we really need a, another movie. And I was like, you know, John Krasinski's dead and then he's back and it's, it's like, oh, we're going to have a, a, a prequel. We don't really have a prequel. So um, as far as what goes on in the movie, I'm going to spoil just a tiny bit. I'm not going to get deep into spoilers because as you're aware, I don't like spoiling the movies because I really want you to support the movies and go see it. And I don't. I, I just it's hard for me I know some people like spoilers but I, I can't support your crazy habit <laughs> so with the, the the first movie what was interesting you know with the the, the differences in times 
and now I wish I had a date. Cause is, aren't there like 470 something day, day 470? So with the first movie, you know, it's, it starts off where this alien invasion, whatever's already going on. And, you know, we, we saw what happened to the youngest kid and everything like that. And then it, it jumps forward, you know, a, a little further. But with this movie, it actually goes back to day one. And I was when I'm thinking about this, I was like, you know, the whole in media res, I, I'm, I'm totally down with that. You know, I, I like when we see something, we start off in the middle and then we see what happens beginning to lead up to that you know and you know at at its core you could almost say like star wars was like that you know it started in the middle and we went back and and so forth so i i do like that and you know there's there's a scene you know john krasinski goes to a you know little little grocery store that's what the same grocery store that they go to in, in the first movie and you know you see it in the trailer it, it seemed like it lingered more in a trailer when he walks past you know, he's walking down down the aisle and you see that rocket ship from the first movie that made all that noise in the movie it felt like it was a little faster and it's kind of like you know you you knew it was coming so you knew to look there but i almost feel like if they didn't put that in the trailer if you hadn't seen a trailer you might have missed it because it didn't really linger so you know, being back at the store, you know, from day one, you know, it, you see, it's a small town. Um, I just had some audio issues, so I had to change recorders or whatever. So it might sound a little different here, but you know, you you see, John Chris goes there, you know, the store. He you know buys some apples and everything like that, and and he's like in a hurry, and you know, just I think I mentioned this, the store owners like you know watching the TV and stuff like that, and you know the, the invasion has started, and he's like like hey. Carl or whatever the dude's name was, he's like, you know, I, you know, he's like, I gotta go. Cause there's this lady, you know, unloading her cart and everything. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And because it's such a small town, he totally trusts them. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, you can go ahead, take what you need, you know, that that's fine. And, and, you know, he doesn't even look cause he knows he's going to pay him back. And then as John Krasinski is walking down the street, he's like waving, you know, saying hi to people like in other stores and, and stuff like that. And so where the reason he was in a hurry is because he's going to the, the field because the, the kid, the son, is, is has a baseball game. And, you know, there's other people there. And what I didn't realize is Cillian Murphy's character is there, too. He, he has a, a must have a son. And I think he had a daughter. Did he maybe had a daughter that, you know, he had a son that was playing. And if because in the trailer, you know, you see Cillian Murphy and and you get no impression, whatever, that they knew each other, because like when he grabs Emily Blunt, like has her, you know, tells her to be quiet, whatever. He just looks like not a friendly guy and everything. So that was interesting right there, you know, to see that. So a little spoiler, obviously, while the the game is going on, then you there's like something falling from the sky, like this big thing. And, and everyone just starts looking at it. And everyone's like, kind of like, holy crap. And everyone is like, okay, we got to get out of here. It's like people, they don't necessarily panic or anything, but they, they, they leave the field. They start going to their cars and start driving. And this is where things start. It start to escalate like pretty quickly when, you know, you see it in a trailer where, where stuff starts going down. And, and there's some moments of big impact noise that, you know, is meant to startle you and everything. And there's still that scene in the trailer. I remember when I first saw it, when Emily Blunt's driving with the kid, and then you know she's like, you know, reaching back, she's like, "Hey, are you okay? You know, everything's fine." And and then the other other kid's like, "Mom," because there's like a bus coming right at them. So she has to flip it in reverse and drive backwards. And and I gotta say, here's my confession, not really confession. I I'm not 
a big fan of, of backing up, of driving backwards. And when you see this in a movie, when they're like, just, you know, high speech, like in Tenet, you know, driving backwards, I was like, I, I, I would die. <laughs> there's no way I could not do that. And she's, just, you know, going because there's a bus coming right at him, and there's a creature in there. Yeah, so there's all that. So and then you know, so we just see a little bit of that, and then um, you know, it it goes a little. Well, you know, we we see some other stuff uh, with the, with the aliens on this this day one, and then it, it goes back to the end of the first movie, almost episode one, and you know, going from there. So it was you know, like I say, it's it's an interesting technique or use of a technique to kind of jump around and, and show us little bits of it because as i said i never thought we really needed to see go back because you know we, we've seen enough of the, the the story to know that these aliens and attacked and and what we show doesn't necessarily offer any major revelations but it, it is cool to see here's the world when everything was normal and people were still alive. And, you know, it does make you wonder what happened to everyone else. You know, everyone's just picked off. And, you know, when, when you see these aliens going around, you know, when you see them in a, like populated areas, it's, it's not really clear like what their, their motives are. It, you know, it's not like they're going after people to eat them or anything. It's like, they're just going around and just killing everyone. You know, they're just like swatting them and slashing at them and everything like that. And, so it's like, dude, what's what's your your problem and everything? As you've seen in the trailer, because I again I'm tiptoeing on how much I want to spoil, but you know the the family decides to leave the farm, and at first I'm like, why are you leaving the farm? It's like you know you already you have what you need there, and you know you're just gonna give it all up and and. But I guess that you know that's part of the movie, and may, maybe because you know John Krasinski is dead and whatever, but. So, you know, the whole thing with with the fires and, you know, trying to find other people, that's what, what makes them decide to to head on out. And uh, there's some, some, some well, like one bad moment, like one bad thing that happens. But when they come across Cillian Murphy's uh, character, because at first he doesn't want to acknowledge, I, I think, I mean, he's he's got to know who they are, you know, because he's, he's looking at them in a scope, which, again, you see this in a trailer, so I'm not spoiling too much and you know he just he doesn't want anyone around he doesn't he he's like i can't there's he can only has enough support food or whatever for himself and then you know then he he finally they she's like is that you i forgot his like his name you know she she recognizes his voice she's like show me your face because he had like a you know mask thing pulled up so it's interesting this to see just how he's changed because you know they, they knew the family and spoiler you know he, he he lost his family type of thing he lost his kids and then you know his wife you know she died later or whatever so you, you just really get a sense that this is a man you know you you kind of compare him to john krasinski's character and there's just like a huge difference because you know this is a guy that you know at no fault of his own he kind of failed his family you know he, he couldn't be be helped but he's like living with that and just thinking about that because you know there's like he's got kind of like pictures of his kid you know like drawings and stuff like that so you know he's been living with this for all this time and just trying to accept it and and you know he does i think he just doesn't want the responsibility he doesn't want anyone else he doesn't want to take care of anyone else because he doesn't feel like he can so i think 
all that is, is, is kind of interesting with that. This is just how he's, he's broken, but you know, he's, you know, still going on, you know, he, it's not like he's given up on life, but there's all that. But one of the other interesting things that, you know, again, is mentioned in the trailer when he's talking to Emily Blunt and you know, he's saying that there's other, the other people out there aren't worth saving. And basically saying that they've kind of regressed and, you know, spoiler, we do get to see some other people. And as I'm looking at this, it's like, okay, these people are not like they're savage or anything, but they're, they're not nice people. And I was like, it's only been, it hasn't even been two years. It's only been like, what a year, you know, 400 days, 470 days. So it's like, I, I guess, you know, even a year and a half or whatever with these aliens and trying to, I, I couldn't even imagine. Cause you know, if you, at least with, with the, the main characters, you know, living on the farm and they're kind of isolated. And so, you know, maybe in a densely populated area, there's not going to be that many of the aliens around. Although I think in the first one, they said there's three known that were in the area, just kind of hanging out, I guess, but just to have to live your whole life in silence. And, you know, they had the advantage where they knew sign language. So, you know, because you see on day one, when they're, you know, back then they were still, you know, talking to each other in sign, using sign language. So just, you know, try to imagine living your life. I couldn't be recording this podcast right now. You couldn't be, li well, you could be listening to it with, with headphones. So it's just kind of crazy. And and then, uh, you know, so the idea when they come across uh, Cillian Murphy's character, you know, there there is... A plot device to, to try to maybe we should or you know someone's like maybe we should, I should go here or do this or that so it and it, it does open things up a, a little more and you know we're seeing more of this world so when it the movie ends you know if they, they could do another movie they could do another sequel and just like with the first one I'm saying I don't know if they really need to but I mean this the story is not over and, you know, there, there's still some other things, you know, we still don't know the, the alien's motives or reasoning, you know, again, maybe it doesn't really matter that much, but there's, there's, so there's still more questions. And, um, the, the other, uh, how do you say his name? The Dimin, Jimin, the Jimin Honsu, he was pretty cool. You know, he, he doesn't have a huge role in the movie. Um, and I don't want to say too much, but you see him and, and, you know, he's, he's quick, to think you know not i don't want to necessarily say a man of action but you know when things go down he starts moving which which was kind of nice and or not nice but you know cool and all that so it's worth seeing and as far as seeing in a theater you know i don't want to encourage you you know you really need to think about how safe you feel and how safe you know you think your theater is and and, you know, are you vaccinated and, and all, all that? Because, you know, this time I did buy some popcorn. I didn't when I saw Spiral, but I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then, you know, I was just like sitting. And again, I was, I'm sitting in the aisle. There's, you know, no one seats next to me, like maybe like three, three or four seats, you know, and these are the, like the big recliner seats. So, that you know, there, there's no one there. And so, you know, I, I felt a little more comfortable because obviously when I saw Spiral, I had my mask on the whole time. And this time, you know, I had it off so I could eat. But, you know, as soon as I was done eating, I, you know, put the mask back on. But what was interesting, and I'm getting sidetracked here, is like when I left the theater and everything, I'm seeing like all these people 
just walking around without their masks on. And I'm just, you know, as I'm walking to the parking garage, there's like, you know, some, you know, some people have their masks on and some, uh, uh, just, these two ladies walking with no mask. I'm, I'm like kind of looking, I was like, what are you doing? And it's like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're vaccinated. You sh- and I know they're saying you don't have to, but I, I just, I think it's crazy. And, you know, I saw some other, and I saw like a family and like a little kid. It's like, there's no way that kid's vaccinated. I mean, maybe, because was it 12? So anyways, if you, if you feel safe and you have the opportunity, you should see it in a theater. You know, it's, it's worth seeing just for, for the, the ambiance of it. You know, they, they do a really good job with that. So that's all I'm going to say. I mean, it, I don't know. I kind of feel like I've been all over the place since I kind of, I had to stop because I, I lost, I think it was only like maybe five. Yeah. I don't think it was more than five minutes when I realized it wasn't recording. So see the movie. It's good. Um, it opens up the the world more. It explains a little more. Leaves things hanging enough to to make more, if 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 you want. So we'll see how it it does. Um, the budget I guess was sixty one million, and I don't know how much it's gonna do. Um, yeah, yeah, box office forecast. Um, box office pro forecast that the film would gross between. 30 and 50 million it's opening week in the United States and Canada. And uh, so we'll see. I mean, maybe it'll do well. But it, it's like I said, it's worth, worth checking out. So on that note, that is going to be the episode. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast for Mac, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And I'm currently talking about, uh, is that, where am I? Like Batman 332, 333, the Lazarus affair. So it's written by Marv Wolfman. So it's really cool, really fun to, to go back and, and listen to those. So you can check those out and I'll be doing some movies after this. It's a four issue arc. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash GMAT from heck. You can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That is ko-fi.com slash GMAT from heck. Okay, so what is going to happen next week? So next week, um, there's kind of a lot opening up next week. I don't know if I'm going to get to all of them because all of them are like on a Friday. And I try to make Friday my cutoff. Uh, like I'm recording this later than I normally, you know, by this time I'm, I'm usually done recording and like almost in like edit mode or start edit mode. Um, so next week, the conjuring, the devil made me do it opens up in theaters and HBO max. So I'm, I still don't know. I'd like to see it in a theater. Cause one, I'd like to support the movie more, you know, give it some box office money. And two, I think that could be, that's a movie that could be creepy, hopefully, and be nice to see on a, on a big screen. So we'll see about that. Um, I, I'd rather see it on a Thursday night, but my theater, for some reason, doesn't have it listed on a Thursday night yet. They have Friday shows, so um, I'll have to see. I'm going to wait maybe like another day or two, and and then you know hopefully the Friday's not going to be sold out or anything because you know since they're selling less tickets. 
we'll see. Um, on Apple TV, there's also Lisey's story. So that's a Stephen King um, story or Stephen King book being adapted on Apple TV Plus. And it's a, a limited series. When I first heard about it, I thought it was a movie, but I'm, I'm kind of glad that it's a limited series. I just finished the, the audio book. Um, I've actually had it in my Audible library for like a while. And then I just realized, I was like, I was, when I heard that this was coming out, it's like, I don't think I ever listened to that, that book. And I didn't. So um, it's, it's, it was a good story. It's not like deeply horror. There's some dark elements to it. So I'm really curious to see that. I don't even know who, I'm really curious to see who they cast as Lisi. Um, you know, whether it's, it's someone known or not, just like what, you know, is she going to look like how I kind of envisioned as I, you know, listen to the, to the book. So we'll see about that. And then um, Sweet Tooth also comes out on, on Friday, the, the 4th. So I may bump Sweet Tooth to the following week because I don't know if I'll be able to, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to do all of those for next week. So we'll see. And what else I haven't mentioned, I, I, I haven't talked about Adventure Time. And I'll, I'll tell you why. <laughs> we'll probably do it next week since there's no Flash and Superman and Legends, I think. So there you go. That is going to be the podcast for this week. Thank you for listening. Hope you are doing well. Hope everything is awesome. And I hope you enjoyed, if you had, if you're in the U.S., if I hope you enjoyed your three-day weekend. And if you're in school, I hope you're ready for school to be over because I sure as heck am. So I hope everything is going smoothly. And I hope you remember to be good to each other.